what I found over and over and over again is that the problems the couples struggled with were more due to the ways they went about trying to talk about it yeah. than the issue itself. Yeah. So if there was blaming, judgment, um, you know, demands, shaming, whatever, they wouldn't be able to resolve what it was that they were struggling with. And then that would add, and eventually they would keep stacking up unresolved stuff. Yeah. And then in the process of trying to resolve unsuccessfully, they create extra pain. Mm -hmm. So that all gets stacked up. And eventually yeah. it's like a thunder cell. It just blows out yeah. the top. Yeah. What they needed was to learn better repair skills. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is nonviolent communications expert, Wayland Myers. Wayland has had a diverse career as a clinical psychologist in the San Diego area. He is the author of Nonviolent Communication, The Basics as I Know and Use Them, which is Paul's go-to reference on nonviolent communication, also known as NVC. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcast. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind, and to live their dreams. Enjoy learning about nonviolent communication with Paul and Wayland Myers. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, I have a very important topic for us. Our title is Nonviolent Communication Basics. Our guest is Wayland Myers, and I came across Wayland's book many years ago, probably near when it came out. How long ago did it 98. come out? 98. So I came, out, I came across it. My mother and her husband are NVC uh, teachers. Oh, okay. So they used to teach in my level four Czech practitioner oh, training no program. So the what last year- names? I might've known them. Uh, Alex Sensor and Mira Sensor. I do. You do know I them? I do know them. Yeah. I knew them well. Cool. Yeah. We were in the same early trainers training groups. Well, there you go. That's my mother that did those sculptures. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a trip. Yeah. <laughs> Alex doesn't seem old enough to be your father. Uh, he's well, stepfather. He's my stepfather. Okay. Yeah. He's right. he's actually about almost eighty. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think my mom's seventy six now. Oh, what a riot! Yeah. Well, we do have some connections. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool, eh? Yeah. So anyhow, um, I was reading Marshall Rosenberg's book and studying NBC, and I just felt that it was so complex to teach beginners so i started searching the internet for other mm -hmm. books and i found your book mm -hmm. and i read it and actually i could show it to you it's full of notes and i even drew diagrams that i think would help people and mm -hmm. and uh, i actually bought a ton of them and started giving them out to my students as part of their training and said this is all you need if, mm -hmm. if you can just work with that you'll you know it'll change your life well that's great because that's exactly what i'd hoped for a it's, primer. Yeah. It's simple. It's like cliff notes, you know, but yeah. it's got the key mm -hmm. elements in mm -hmm. it. And I honestly think until you master that, going deeper is just going to get you probably confused, really. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I felt yeah. that uh, you hit the bullseye with that book. And so, interestingly enough, um, recently, I was writing something or I was doing something for the book I'm writing. I can't remember how it came about. But I was searching for your name, mm -hmm. and I came across a, something on 
an internet search that said you lived in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I went, holy shit, Waylon lives in San Diego. I got to get him up here and do a podcast oh, with yeah. him. So it's that's, when I, that's when I reached out to you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You know, you recently did a podcast with Amy Fournier, who's a long-term client and student of mine and a best one of my best friends. And um, and she did a podcast with you, but she had done NVC training with us years ago. And you know, I I'm, I turned her on to your book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, uh, actually, your podcast with her was fantastic. So, if you guys really love this podcast, which I'm sure you're going to, because as Wayland's very deep and meaningful. Um, Amy's podcast is titled Awakening Aphrodite, and episode 72 is with Wayland. So you can also get another perspective from that conversation. And Amy's a fantastic host, so she pulls a lot of great stuff out of Wayland. Yeah, <laughs> she, was, she was very good. I really enjoyed working with her. Yeah, I love Amy. And I felt very good about what, uh, what we produced. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. I listened to the whole thing. It was great. So Wayland, to begin with, can you describe uh, what NVC is and how it's different than the way norm- people normally communicate with each other? Cis people that don't know what nonviolent communication no, is. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, basically, <clears throat> a lot of the customary ways that we're taught, taught to um, speak to each other, uh, use forms of language, words, and such that end up producing discomfort in the other person yeah so i might say uh something like you know that was really um insensitive of you to do that now that's one way for me to begin talking about my discomfort but it creates an opportunity for you to really feel uncomfortable so language i, I guess why i should talk about what violent language is it's not like yelling and screaming mm-hmm. it's kinds of phrasings and ways of thinking about each other and our behavior that trigger some kind of distress or hurt or disruption to the relationship. Yeah. So um, they, the, the violent forms usually include something like blaming the other person, mm-hmm. um, taking their inventory in terms of telling them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what you who you think they are and what you think of their behavior. Yeah, um, making demands of mm-hmm. another person. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> all of these things tend to trigger discord, and so Marshall recognized that many many years ago and started asking himself, what would be a more uh, smooth and compassionate way for people to begin to talk to each other. What kind of language would they use? So a good deal of it has to do with becoming aware of some of the forms of speech that do cause uh, discomfort and distress in a relationship and trying to avoid them. Yeah. Um, Judging, um, criticizing, demanding, that kind of stuff. And then learning alternative ways to talk about what's going on with you or with the other person. Now, in that alternative, uh, in terms of the alternative ways, um, Marshall understood, and it's now really being um, supported by uh, recent neurological research uh, on the way humans work and uh, even and primates, but also the current thinking in terms of human evolution and how we came to be and work the way that we are today. What he figured out is now really being 
validated. supported and validated, which mm -hmm. I, I find very exciting. So what he understood is that all of us, um, and he didn't use these terms, I'm going to use these terms, all of us are the product of a common evolution yeah. as humanity. Mm -hmm. And that um, in the course of that evolution, we, when we began learning to live together, uh, we started to develop not just, I mean, initially, I hope it don't get too complicated here, but initially we were beings that had uh, bodily sensations that informed us about our physical well-being, mm -hmm. thirst, hunger, you know, sex In drive, instincts. Yeah, instincts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the beginning place. But once we started to work together socially, um, we began to de develop social needs. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and over time and, and many millennia, um, there are certain basic um, needs that have developed in humanity that we all share. They, they get expressed in different ways. People have different rules and stuff, but the need to uh, be heard, the need to be uh, respected, the need to connect with other people, uh, the need for solitude, I mean, all of all kinds of needs um, that we all have. <clears throat> so, when we have a need, let's just talk about the emotional, social kinds of needs that we have. When we have a need um, that isn't being met, the way our bodies tell us about that is through our emotions. Mm -hmm. We start to feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. um, and ill at ease. And if we learn to listen to our bodies and and the the sensations that are there. Um, we discover, oh, you know, I'm feeling lonely. Oh, okay. So the need underlying that is a need for connection. And right now, I'm just really feeling all by myself. Mm -hmm. That's a very valuable thing for me to know. And so the emotion of feeling lonely tells me that about this part of my well-being. But it also provides energy and, and direction, impulse to try to get the need met. Yes. So he's going... All of us are trying to meet the same set package of needs that, that have been the result of evolution. They're the needs that we developed uh, that were important for us to have in order for us to be successful in a group. So I wanted to, there's a couple of um, things showing up in the um, literature these days that I think are quite interesting. Uh, so this is a social scientist Who's they? He and his group studied sixty societies, uh, over six hundred thousand words from over six hundred resources, and they found there are seven cooperative behaviors that were in all of the cultures considered morally good, and these were one: love of your family, two: help your group, three: return favors, four: be brave, five: defer to authority. Tricky. Mm -hmm. Six, be fair. Seven, respect other people's property. Other people have added to that list um, things like uh, and the instinct to take care of people who are ill or mm -hmm. women and children. Yes. So these are just embedded in us. Mm -hmm. And um, everything that we end up doing, all of our behavior is, is really just 
what's going on is that we're feeling some need or needs, emotions are going on, and we're acting in a way to try to get those needs met. It's on the action level, how we behave, um, the way we go about it, where we can get ourselves into trouble. Yeah. Um, but if I look out, like today, here's a good example. I look out at all of the divisiveness and the anger and the blaming and the, you know, f- f- uh, creating camps and stuff. Um, and it would be, and it is easy for me to go, well, I think those people are blah, 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 and that doesn't make any sense and blah, blah, blah. But when I remember nonviolent communication and this deep understanding that we all are operating out of the same need structure, I realize that all that the people who feel differently than I do, believe differently, who act in ways that I don't find acceptable or wouldn't tolerate, whatever, they're all trying to take care of themselves in ways that for them makes sense or it's all they know how to do. But they're trying to meet needs that are no different from mine. Right. You know, they're looking for to create more security, more mm. predictability maybe in their lives. They have recipes in their mind for, mm. well, you need politicians who do this and don't mm-hmm. do that. I, I have found that I prefer to stay anchored in that awareness that all of us, all of the, all of the people... Um, are trying to get something really positive done. Mm-hmm. And I share that with everybody. And I may not agree with the recipes or the formulas or the rules or the practices, but I really get it that, that there's a goodness that's at play. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so understanding that, it takes away a lot of the need to judge. Mm-hmm. And I can then sit down and go, let me find out what's happening inside that person. Yes. Let me not get hooked by the surface level in language. Let me find out what they're feeling emotionally because as we talk about that, then I might start to get an idea of the needs down below that mm-hmm. emotion that the, per- that the person has. Mm-hmm. When I do that, people really, in general, they really like it mm-hmm. because I'm not judging them. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Yes. And I'm wanting to discover. Mm-hmm. And I'm checking out what I, you know, things that I come up with. I'm checking that out with them. So they pick up that my intent is a constructive, positive intent. And um, I try to stay away from, um, <clears throat> it just works better. Let me, let me tell you a story of a conversation I had with a, a man who uh, is a lifelong Republican, comes from a lifelong Republican family. Um, he is the friend of, a uh, very good friend of, he's the brother of a very good friend of ours. And we were going to spend, uh, my wife and I were going to spend Christmas with them one year. And I was told um, <clears throat> before we got on the plane, now, remember, don't talk to, I'm going to just call him Bill, just don't, don't bring up politics with Bill. <laughs> It's not going to go anywhere good. There's just no point. Okay. Would you promise me? I want to have a really great time with this. I love them. We have, hon, could you promise me you won't talk to Bill in that way? So I said, I promise I won't bring that up with Bill. Okay. (laughs) Bill and I really love and enjoy each other, respect each other. Okay. So he invites me out to coffee. He 
has this little tradition he does every day, goes to coffee, and he goes, do you want to come with me? So I go, yeah. So we go, and we're in this coffee shop, and we're just talking and, you know, kind of getting caught up and stuff. And at one point, the topic of the distress and discord going on in our country and the dysfunction got touched on. And I said, it is really sad that we are in such a state of distress and mess, and it's all, you know, tangled up. It's a very sad situation. Um, and I said, the reason I feel that sad is because I think we're all wanting the same thing, but we don't know that. We're not keeping, not aware of that. I think we all want a government that works well for the people. Mm-hmm. We want a government that's efficient, that's intelligent. <laughs> trustworthy. <laughs> well, and there is that. Yes, we'd like to have a government that you, that's trustworthy, da-da-da, takes good care of people, is honest. It's a government by the people. Yes. Uh, not the corporations. Uh, not the corporations or, or anybody else. Yeah. That's what we're all wanting. Now, you have a different idea about what it would take to get there and who should be involved. But I think we have a great deal in common. And so we began talking about what we had in common. Mm-hmm. Um, that we really, what does it mean to have a government that really works for the people? Yeah. It really takes care of the people. So we began to really lay out what each of us thought. And we found, wow, you know, we see a lot of the stuff the same. Yeah. And then that led into discussions of, um, he lives in California, he has his whole life, and I have as well. So he brought up the fact that he liked some of the things that Governor Brown did, uh, Jerry Brown, wait, I'm not, yeah, no, it was Jerry Brown. Um, and, he, and yet he's a Republican. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, I voted for Arnold Schwarzenegger when he ran because I thought he was the best choice at the time. And so that got us into kind of more of a detailed discussion of what we saw that we liked and what we supported. And we talked for about two hours. And when we got done, we both felt very proud that we had really connected in a very deep way that was respectful and we felt far more connected and I understood his perspective. And I also, I found out that he was nowhere near as black and white and reactive as I had been warned that he might be. So, um, probably because the way of you approached it. Yeah, I think, yes, absolutely. Because I, 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 yeah. I going, okay, how do I, where do I go from here? I was supposed to not talk about this, but it's come up. <laughs> Let me see. What's probably the safest avenue? It's a good thing you're in a coffee shop without your wife. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have been, my shins would have been all bruised up, I'm sure. Excuse me. Oh, yeah. So, I thought, I really do believe we have all of this stuff in common in terms of the vision we have for what we'd like our country to be doing and how we'd be doing it. Yeah. And I found out that that was completely true. I didn't go into, well, you know, if you really want a government by the people and for the people, then, you know, how can you go for this one and this one? You know, the, the, all the stuff that's games being played with election rules yeah, and all that uh-huh. kind of stuff. I didn't go there because it, I didn't feel that that was going to get us anywhere that was valuable. But I think it was probably helpful for him to get clear, to have somebody make a clear statement that they were a Democrat and they really wanted a government that was really by the people and for the people and what that meant because that's exactly what he wanted. And who knows, maybe that might have led later on for him to look at some of those restrictions with the voting rules 
a little bit differently because he goes, you know, is that really going to get us where we want to go? Um, so it was just a very wonderful experience. And uh, we were both very proud because we knew we talked about something very tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, and later I told them, I said, you know, I was told, absolutely, please p- promise me you won't go there. <laughs> 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 and so we had a good laugh, but it was so nice to be able to talk to somebody who had different views and perspectives and ideas, but we were really talking about what we agreed on. Yeah. And because you, when you get down to that deeper level of sort of the, the needs that you have that you want met, you want a healthy government, you want this, that, those are things that everybody generally wants. And so that's the commonality level. Yeah. So we're talking on that, how I feel and why it, really uh uh why it matters to me what makes it good for me mm-hmm. that's the second part of nonviolent communication it's not just about avoiding these forms that that might create distress yeah but it's recognizing that oh these are the two levels of that are the most powerful in terms of creating connection so the two levels and understanding being... the two levels being what are you feeling mm, yes and, and what are you needing and, and and what what is that feeling connected to yeah because the feelings are the children in a way of the needs every single thing we do is a need what's going on is we're having we have a need and we're trying to fulfill it in some fashion yes you know like right now i have a need to share this perspective with people so i'm talking this way and i'm going about it in a certain way um but I was thirsty a moment ago, and so you know, I decided, okay, I'm going to have, I'll, I'll drink some water. Um, so the idea that <clears throat> the person of, across from you is exactly the same as you are in terms of what's really deeply, fundamentally important. Yes. And you want to really talk at that level, and you want to talk, and the emotions are the the kind of indicator lights that that give you some sense of direction for what's underneath that would be good for you to address. Mm-hmm. So instead of talking at the level of action, like, you know, I really didn't think it was very smart of you to vote for that person last time, you know, because and blah, 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 blah. If I do that, um, it's, you know, I'm inviting debate. I'm activating the collective angst that everybody feels. And it's so easy for me when I'm with people who um, sort of have the same values I do. And to get very riled up about the other side if I'm with them, and the same yeah. is true over there. So it's like, why go there? Um, and, and what I'm trying to figure out now is we need to we need to learn to talk to each other in these constructive and connecting ways. It isn't really about you know sort of debating the ideas and intellectual stuff and all that kind of, it's not at the head level mm-hmm. um, because we've gotten into, we've, we've really, I think so many people have just gotten lost in the whole idea level and story level that's all at the mental level and we're so alienated, but we need each other. I need the conservative person. I need their perspective, their wisdom, their values, their ideas, their participation. Um, and they need me as well. Mm-hmm. But we don't know how to, we're not figuring out how to do that right now. We've really gone into the um, 
what was that article that the guy said? Uh, was it, it? I can't. I wish I could remember it. But it's so easy to get into the path of that criticism and <clears throat> the collective story on your side and your side. It's so easy to go in, go that route. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people realize the cost. No. I think it's, there's yeah. a tremendous cost to our country, yeah. health-wise, emotionally, spiritually, politically. We need to learn how to talk to each other again yeah. and, and benefit. And that's the thing that I'm really working on trying to sort out now is what would that take? Mm. And what I've got so far is this thing of, Let's talk about what we have in common. Yeah. And get to know each other a little bit. And then maybe the next step, and I haven't tried this yet, maybe the next step would be to say, well, what can the two of us do together? Yeah. What could we do together that mm. would feel right, mm -hmm. that would be consistent, you know, for both of us? So that we're, we're trying to come to being able to take an action, to try to make some kind of a difference, to improve things. Um. And that's the best I've got in terms of a way to try to create a bridge. Hi, everybody. I'm very excited to share some big news with you today. This month, anyone with an internet connection will be able to learn my holistic system of exercise and conditioning. That's because we're finally putting one of my most important advanced training programs out to the digital world. That's Integrated Movement Science Level 1, which is now available online. IMS1 includes my physiological load assessment, postural assessments, stretching and mobility assessments, how to perform corrective mobilizations, instructions on improving stability, and a huge library of exercises, all of which are game changers for any practice. The physiological load assessment alone makes a huge difference in your client results and keeps them from getting injured and progressing more naturally and fully, which results in excellent walk-around marketing for you. Whether you're just getting started in holistic health and performance, or you're looking to upskill, or you just want to stand out from the crowd, IMS1 is the advanced training you need. To get early notification of the course release and win a 10% discount at the launch, please go to the check shop that's c-h-e-k shop the check shop.com forward slash i m s number one online that's the check shop.com forward slash i m s one online and sign up i know you're going to love this program i've got nothing but excellent feedback for the years i've been running it live and it's super exciting to be able to share it with you online so you can learn at your own pace anytime anywhere you have an internet connection enjoy I think we've also lost our capacity for dialogue. Um, when, when people talk normally, they're trying to drive a point home, and they have often an agenda behind what That's they're right. saying, That's right? right? Mm -hmm. And I've studied David Bohm quite extensively, and he, he, and he has a lot of writings and, and lectures on dialogue. And the thing about a dialogue is you put something into the group, but you don't have any... Uh, me, you, you don't try to control where it goes. Right. You don't judge it. You you just say something like, um, well, I believe that everything that you can't see is in the implicate order. And the implicate order 
is our thoughts, feelings, emotions, and they get expressed as actions, which are explicate, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can't see your thoughts, feelings, and emotions, mm -hmm. but I can see your actions. Mm -hmm. I can see your gestures, your behaviors. Yeah. And even though you may be thinking something inside, like mm -hmm. a judgment against me or something, yeah. I, I, we can all read that there's something under yeah, the surface. Yeah, we can pick that stuff right? up, yeah. The point being is that's the beginning of a dialogue. And you, right. and, and you might disagree and I will say, well, what do you think happens? What's, what's your internal picture? That's right. And the next guy says, well, I have a different idea. And so you just let it move around the room and every, right. everyone says, wow, I never thought of that. Or wow, I had right. no idea you could look right. at it that way. Right. Or, right. or, well, I'm glad I don't think that way because that would be stressful, but there's no, uh, we don't have the ability to dialogue yeah. about ideas yes. and discuss options. Yeah. We've, we've lost that because we've yeah. gotten into um, struggling for power. Yes, it's it's my idea versus your yeah, idea right, instead right. of how do they fit together or can they fit together? Or, and if they can't, what's what's in the way? Maybe there's something we're missing. Yeah. Right? Maybe there's an X factor. No, exactly. And, and that's the wonderful thing about, <clears throat> you know, they've done a lot of studies of, who uh, do individuals who are super bright, uh, you know, end up choosing the right things and, and coming up with the right ideas better than uh, groups like a five people team right. or something? And they found that generally groups do a better job of figuring out where to go, how to what to whatever, because you've got that diversity. Yes, but the group has to have uh, a conversational patterning mm -hmm. that is supportive of dialogue just just dialogue mm -hmm. and that's something that really i think and that's really the frame of mind i brought with me when i met with this friend yeah. was that i wanted to have a dialogue if we if we did i wanted it just to, to be a dialogue yeah so it's about exploring it's about discovering it's about you know learning more or whatever and i think that we've just <clears throat> We've fallen as a, as a society, and I'm talking U.S. here, it probably is true for other countries as well, where it's a, it's a pattern of criticism of the other side, mm -hmm. um, fighting to be the one who's in charge yeah. and gets to be in control, and demonizing, very black and whiting the other side. Mm -hmm. All you do is get further and further apart. Yeah, and I know from studying Marshall Rosenberg's work, and by the way, he, um, Waylon's mentioned the name Marshall. Marshall's the founder of nonviolent communication, Marshall Rosenberg. And I know from studying Marshall's work, he says all judgments are violent, uh, are tragic expressions of unmet needs. Yes, that's a very good. Now, it's not just a judgment. Yeah. It's a moralizing, a moralistic judgment. Because uh -huh. people go, well, gosh, you know, I have an opinion about that. Well, the issue is not whether you have an opinion, it's whether it's been moralized, like it's yeah. the right to the wrong. Yeah. And, and that is that's a wonderful, I'm glad you brought that out, because that is a wonderful way of saying it. Yeah, and so the point being is, is, to refer back to what you've just been sharing, is that the judgments are separating words. They, that's right. They separate yeah. us from each other, but the unmet need, as you said, is almost always something we have in common. Yeah. So if we if we uh, aren't conscious of the fact that we're using judgment phrases or judgment words or judgment intentions to try to put somebody in their place or show them how wrong they are right. or whatever it is, 
then what happens is we overlook our commonality, our common connection. Yeah. Um, and that's where the, the bonding force, and that's, you know, why the dialogue's important is because if you know how to do a dialogue, you're not supposed to exclude anybody's opinion. Right. Because, you know, the, I think the root word, dis, the word, roots of the word discussion link back to percussion. And percussion is separate. You you have a beat, 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 beat. So there's uh -huh. a separation. Uh -huh. But a dialogue's supposed to flow like water going through a creek, not a beat, beat, beat. Yeah, yeah. And so, I think um, I think if we all worldwide sat still, and and when somebody was saying something that felt stressful or painful to us, if we just said in our mind what is the unmet need being expressed mm -hmm. here and use that as a trigger to say, let me explore that. So what I, yeah. you know, and you know, I know from my training, so I'm guessing what you really are wanting is, or what you're really needing yeah. is then you, you know, it, you almost always, it boils down to something to do with safety and security. Yeah. Or, um, yeah. yeah. In, which it's interesting because I've spent a lot of time over the years thinking about sort of that. We all have kind of a hierarchy of needs at any yeah. one moment, yeah. you know, on one level, uh, let's say I'm exhausted and I don't, I'm depleted. And I don't want to do anything. But a friend who's dear to me really needs some help. Uh, well, that need happens to be a higher need, for, a stronger need for me. Yeah. So I'll go there. Yeah. It's not always about um, uh, going with sort of like your strongest. Um, well, not strongest, but I, I, I'm not sure how to explain that, except that it's been helpful for me to recognize that at any one moment in time, there's kind of a stacking of needs in terms of priorities. And I need to kind of check with myself. Yeah, this is a very strong one. I really want to just do nothing. Yeah. But how about this one? Ooh, that one really has a lot of weight. Really <laughs> a lot of power, a lot of weight to yeah, it. I yeah. really want to help. And so I'll just gear up and go help. Yeah. And um, so I think that's an important thing to, to understand. But um, so... People wanting safety, that sort of like you, it all often comes down to, I just want to feel safe. So I asked myself, is safety really the kind of foundational need? Yeah. And the answer I came up with is no. And here's how I came up with it. I said, if I had safety, how would my life be different? Right. And the answer is, oh, then I could thrive. Yeah. I could be who I am. Yes. I could be open to whatever I was thinking it and I could, you know, be inventive and I could be whatever, mm -hmm. whatever. And it's that you know, the foundational, I guess, belief is I am good. And basically I think everybody, all human beings, the core, if you get down below all the programming and the damage that's been done to them or whatever, they're good. Mm -hmm. They're good. And, and th that deep package of basic needs is the same. Yeah. So I, I realized, you know, the reason I would want safety is because then it would allow me to, or I would feel comfortable moving about the world, doing the things that matter the most, and, and I could thrive. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people really are looking for. And of course, we have to have a certain measure of safety in order to be willing to do that. But right now, We've got a massive amount of distrust. Yes. And so that's where the difficulty comes in. Yeah. But back to, you know, judgments. Um, I've often thought that what Marshall uh, 
when he spoke about anger, he said, when people are angry, three things are true. You probably remember this. He said, there's some important need that they have mm -hmm. that they don't think is being met or has been met or will be met. So something really important to them is at stake. The second thing that's true is they're telling themselves some kind of a should ought to story mm -hmm. about that need getting met. Yeah. Like they should do that. They're supposed to act that way. They're supposed to give me that. Da, da, da. And it's that moralized appraisal mm -hmm. and, and kind of demand thinking that I have a right to this. Mm -hmm. So therefore you're bad if you don't give it to me. Mm -hmm. That's what generates the anger. Yeah. So it's like looking at the situation through polarized lenses. Yeah. So I look at the situation. If I take those lenses off and I don't do the right, wrong, should, ought to, but what I look at is I go, oh, um, this is really important. And it's not, I don't think it's happening or will happen. And I feel really sad about that. I feel disappointed. Um, I feel afraid. Okay, that's what I would just call the, the, the native phenomena. But when I put on moralizing glasses, polarizing glasses, yeah. those then, when I look through that, that set of lenses shows what's right or wrong, supposed to, should, ought, all that stuff, all that judgmental, moralistic judgment. Then I look at, at you and I, I see you in that way. You're supposed to do that. Yeah. If I take that off, then I just look at, I'd really like this and um, it's not happening. Is it possible you could? Yes. It's going to work better. So that's one of the things when I was talking about what I'm trying to do today in terms of relating to people who have very different values. I'm trying to leave those moralizing, polarizing glasses off of my, off of my face. Yeah. I call those, those uh, words, I created a name for them for my students. I call them ant infections. Would ant, should ant, could ant, and did ant. <laughs> Yeah, you didn't. Yeah, you wouldn't. Yeah, you shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, and supposed to, got to, yeah. need to, should do. Yeah. That. So you got wood ants and doo doo ants. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then when it comes to needs, I developed a hierarchy of needs for myself and my students, and basically. I have a saying, I before we always. Mm -hmm. And so my needs hierarchy is I, we all. And and inevitably Christians or somebody will say, well, you know, that's very self-centered or whatever. You shouldn't be thinking about yourself. And I, I say, look, if you don't, if you really care about other people mm -hmm. enough to really be genuinely concerned about being there for them, mm -hmm. How do you do that if you're not feeding yourself, resting yourself, taking care of yourself? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you can yeah. become the overloving mother and the burnt out person. And having been a therapist for 38 years, I'll tell you what happens. You start resenting the people you love. Mm -hmm. And that's how mm -hmm. women get breast cancer and how men get all sorts of health problems and, and wish they didn't have their family and yeah. want to hide at work and right. get workaholism and everything yeah. else. So. I say the first obligation we have is to ourselves because we're 50% of every relationship we have. And I say, for example, if I'm in a relationship with Waylon right now and 10% of me is missing because I'm thinking about how hungry I am or how I wish I was in the gym or I wish I didn't have to work today, mm -hmm. I ask my students, how much of a deficit does that create in the relationship? They almost always say 10%. I say, no, you're wrong. It creates a 20% deficit. 
because there's 10% of me that's not here and that's 10% Waylon cannot access. Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. 20%. Mm -hmm. I said, if you don't think 20% is a lot, then ask your boss to reduce your paycheck next month by 20% and watch how much of a difference that makes for you. (laughs) Have an experience of that. Yes. You can really see the magnitude of 20%. So the, the point being is if I really have commitments like I do and we all do to our family, let's say, or to our business, Mm -hmm. then I have to put myself first because I hold the responsibility of the we. And in my system, once you go to three people, you reach the all level. Mm -hmm. So I teach my students karmically, if you're teaching people something that isn't true because you were too lazy to do your research or you're just throwing ideas out of your backside, Mm -hmm. but you don't really know what you're doing, Mm -hmm. if there's 30 people in the room, that knock-on effect could be 30 people telling 30 other people telling 30 other people, and they're all potentially getting injured because they're doing an exercise wrong or eating something that's not Mm -hmm. good for them or Mm -hmm. whatever. So I say we we have to take responsibility ourselves for authenticating and being sure that we're comfortable enough with what we're sharing. And then when we share it with another person, we're 50%. But when we share it with more than two people, now you're a parent. Now you're a a parent with children. You're influencing Mm -hmm. the whole world Mm -hmm. as a Mm -hmm. knock-on effect. And, you know, like when you're people like us that are involved in lots of things, I mean, I'm involved in my, my own life and taking care of myself i've got three kids i've got family i've got property to take care of so there's the we responsibilities but when it comes to things like my institute or or my podcast or things that are affecting the whole i have to say well if i'm working for the institute and i'm working on my podcast but i've got challenges in my relationships because i'm not present then i can't really be present at the all level mm-hmm. because a part of me is is suffering and then if I'm not taking care of myself, which is causing the problems in the mm-hmm. we relationships, then now I'm in a double deficit. I go to work at making a podcast or working for the Institute or teaching, and I'm carrying all this strife in me, and it's impossible to separate it out of my mm-hmm. field. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm impacting people with that at an unconscious or conscious level. Point being is I think that we, we a lot of us have lost sense of the importance of a hierarchy of values and many of us have been trained through religion and other systems and corporations you know you do everything for the corporation like i was a soldier and you you know you don't matter yeah (laughs) you're expendable yeah so it doesn't matter if you're tired hungry or whatever you just get the job done or someone's going to punish you and so there you see that the all level becomes mm-hmm. more important than the we or the I, which mm-hmm. leads to deficits and it, it leads to a lack of um, inspiration, motivation, commitment, follow yeah. through. Yeah. So well, what, what you're talking about in, in my language is balance. Yes, it is balance. Balance on all those. And, and again, it's that we do have uh, a hierarchy. Uh, our needs are hierarched for us. Now, yeah. I might have not have the same hierarchy you do. I may not have the uh, the need to share with thousands of others and do whatever I do have that. But if I didn't have that, fine. Um, but we all have the need for basic self care. Yeah, and you got to do that because you can't help if you're not in decent shape. But you can also help when you're not in decent shape in certain situations. You know, if I'm really really tired, I can still be of help to my wife or to somebody. So it's 
for me, it's not a simple situation. It's well, I'll tell you, you're, you're, you're hitting on a very important point, and, and that's come up with many of my students. And I say, look, here's the deal. If you have the habit of living at we, then when it comes time to really contribute to a we, you're going to be exhausted in mm -hmm. your contribution. For example, when Angie gave birth, it mm -hmm. was 36 hours of intense labor, and I was there for the whole thing. Yow. My first son's uh, labor was his mother labored for 72 hours and I was rubbing bellies and oh holding golly. bodies for 72 hours nonstop. Wow. So that's a tough go. But my point was, is if I hadn't taken care of myself well enough to really Beforehand. be present, right. then I can't really be there for that's an emergency right. or a real yeah. crisis. Yeah. So yes, people do have these these different hierarchies, but when they come to me as patients with all sorts of health problems, I almost always find out that they have we and all ahead of I. Yeah. And one of the that's right. things you got to do to heal is you got to reorient yourself so that you actually are committed enough to the we and the all mm -hmm. to really be in a state of readiness mm -hmm. because yeah. if the shit hits the fan and you got nothing to give, then you're just a statistic is what you end up being. Yeah. And COVID is a very good example of that because <clears throat> who is the ones that are in trouble? People with multiple com comorbidities. Mm -hmm. What are most of those from? Poor diet and lifestyle practices. Almost all of those things are the long-term knock-on effect of poor diet and lifestyle practices. Point being is if more people would have taken care of themselves and just used general common sense, eat real food, move your body, um, rest, <laughs> rest instead of staying up all night watching junk television, um, you know, spend some time doing some inner work with yourself so you're not always uh, externalizing yourself into the world and l losing touch with your needs, your instincts. Yeah then we wouldn't have had uh, anything look close to the kind of crisis. Yeah, but we're not terribly mature. As no, a that's true. That's very you know? true. And I think we're, 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 uh, what, what I would guess in, in some sense, some large body of us might be at developmentally, you know, a 12 to 15 year old age. Uh, yeah. Or I've got, you know, where there's, it's, that kind of wisdom hasn't. No, it, it's actually. And it's important for people like you to try to teach it. Yes, and I've looked at studies by psychologists that say the average person um, worldwide is developed to about the age of a 12-year-old, psychologically developed to yeah. about 12-year-old. Yeah. And, and I can tell you, as a guy who's written 11 books, the first thing a publisher will tell you is, you need to make sure this book's not written any higher than eighth grade level or it's not going to sell. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah, I've heard sixth grade. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe it was, you know, I, I, last time I met with a publisher was 2004 because I became my own publisher. But the point is, is when you look at what books get read and what books sell well, mm -hmm. they're almost always pitched in eighth grade or lower level. Mm-hmm. So you have to say, okay, well, that must be where people's consciousness resides, really, their aptitude. And so you're right. We, we have sort of a, a, a bit of a... We're a developing species, you know. Yes. We're, we're, we're slowly maturing. We're not burning witches anymore. We're not uh, having kings and serfs. You know, we, we've, we've moved past a lot of stuff, but we're a pretty messy evolver, and we're certainly not... <laughs> Uh, you know, linear line. Now I'm high school. Now, now I'm in graduate school. Okay, I'm done. Yeah. Um, but we are overall a whole lot better than we used to be a century ago. Yeah, well, or two centuries ago. So it's part of it for me is like keeping in mind um, that 
that's kind of the native state of ourselves as a collective. Yeah. And I want to do what I can to contribute to the evolution, but do I want to go around saying these people are wrong or stupid or dumb or just jerks or whatever? Um, no, because it makes me miserable when I think like that. It's better for me yeah. to go, okay, it's just how it is. Where I have power and, and, and control is over what I choose to do, how I choose to do it. Yeah. And it matters to me to try to be of help to other people. Yeah. And that's all that I can do. Yes. And just being able to accept that. But I fully agree that the ideal is to have, you know, taking good physical, psychic, and whatever self-care, and then, you know, taking care of the we part. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's important to help people to understand and do. But we have a lot of people who don't get that. And no, we, no. We want it. That yeah. doesn't mean we don't try to assist in whatever ways you have certain knowledge skills and and have developed certain tools and things which you offer mm. i've got other ones mm. and that's what we can do yes um we mm. can just we can we can give it in hope i um marshall rosenberg i often thought of him as being like johnny appleseed mm -hmm. he went anywhere mm -hmm. whether he was paid whether he was provided housing whether he had a decent anything he would go anywhere it was just, it, I couldn't believe it, that he was able to survive and move forward that way. But he would go anywhere and share what he had. Share yeah. what the weather was with three people or 300 people. He just kept plugging away. Yeah. And look where we are today in terms of the evolution of the nonviolent communication um, understanding and practice and all yeah. of that. Yeah. It's come a long long way and if you go on the internet there's so many resources out yeah, there now yeah um and that's wonderful but it's still there's still a lot of um education to uh present and provide and hope that people find it useful and go mm -hmm. but that's just the state of affairs yeah and i think i think for anybody that is <clears throat> psychologically mature enough to to know the importance of the kinds of things we've been talking about like taking care of yourself so you can take care of others then we are emulating that to other people well th that's being matched up yeah. that was one thing you were speaking about earlier it's really important to be matched up so that what you do is how is also what you live yes to the best of your ability yeah and Otherwise, it creates dissonance in people. If you well, say one yeah. thing and do another, then no, it's yeah. kind of now. Well, now you're, and it's not you're not speaking from a living reality, true no. sense. No, and so people they they don't get it as well. No, as as they do if it's this is what's real for me. It's how I live my life. It's what I work on. Yeah, that gets right across to people. Yeah, um, versus um, I can read all these things and then deliver a lecture. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, I call that a cut that's and paste. interesting maybe, you know, but does yeah. it really impact people in a way not in their depth. That that at the depth that no. might shift slowly over time, yeah. shift them some way? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, I think we're all tuned into each other at an unconscious level. 
Many of you are aware of the importance of magnesium, but very few are aware that most of the magnesium products out there are not high quality and seldom do what they say they'll do on the bottle or the package. But Bioptimizers has produced the most comprehensive magnesium breakthrough product on the market. I've got Wade here to tell us a little bit about it. Wade, what makes your magnesium breakthrough product so unique? Well, I think because we combine a variety of magnesiums. In fact, we use seven different types. So if you look at all the research papers out there, you'll see that they'll use various magnesiums, whether it's orotate, malate, you know, sucrosomial is a hot one that's just come out recently. And they're rated on bioavailability. But the biggest component that a lot of people don't understand with magnesium is that different types of magnesium are uptaken by different parts of the body or different organs, some in your brain, some in your nervous system, some are vasodilators. And so there's a variance in people's responses depending on what they need magnesium for. So we went out to try and solve this problem by combining all seven of the best magnesiums into one single capsule, which was very difficult because number one, the bonding size was different. The nozzles for the machines wouldn't work. We don't use any fillers or uh, chemical uh, excipients, the flow regulators. And then we got them in the caps and the caps rose. We had to do special aid caps. But when we solved all those problems and turned it out for ourselves because we were tired of buying, you know, I had a whole counter full of magnesiums. Well, guess what? A lot of people said this was the best magnesium product they've ever taken. And after being in this business for 18 years, it's quickly moved to our number one selling product in Bioptimizer history. What are just two or three things that magnesium is really supportive of? I know sleep challenges is one of them. What are some of the other key issues? Well, it acts as a down regulator for your nervous system to kind of help you relax and go into, you know, out of fight or flight. And that's the biggest factor, especially today in a, in a high blue light electromagnetic frequency world that we find ourselves in a high stimulus environment. It's also critical for vasodilation. And vasodilation increases blood flow. And many times when we are suffering from a variety of pain or conditions in the body, it's because we're not getting oxygen in or toxins out of those tissues. And you've written a lot about it in your work. And so magnesium breakthrough, because it's so powerful and not available uh, in North American diets because of what we've done with farming, uh, it's a great way to augment your diet. And it's easy to get. You go to magnesiumbreakthrough.com or magbreakthrough.com slash living4d. You can get a 10% discount and it's a money back guarantee. If it's not the best magnesium you've ever taken, you get your money back. Mag, M-A-G, breakthrough.com, magbreakthrough.com forward slash living4d. And is there a discount for the listeners? 10% all for all right. the listeners. All right, give it a go, you guys. Everything I use from Bioptimizers is the best I've ever used. That's why I love Wade and Bioptimizers. So you've heard how it's made, why it's made, and how it works. If you want the best, go get it. What I'd love to know is, you know, you're a psychologist, and I'm curious, what what is it that sparked your your interest or desire to get into nonviolent communication? I mean, what, what circumstances yeah. led you to <laughs> want to, to, to look into something? I had something? a miserable romantic relationship oh, going on. One of those. <laughs> I was dating a jackal, for God's sake. <laughs> and uh, I just thought, you know, from what I'd heard from friends, you know, there's got to be another way of communicating with each other yeah. other than 
the way uh, this person was just fully jackalized, you know, yeah. God, God bless them, uh, you know, and that's what they thought was the way to go. But for someone built the way I'm built, it just creates so much discomfort yeah. that it just doesn't work. And why does it create huge discomfort? Well, let's, we can go backward to the kind of practices my father had. Yeah. He was very, his father died when he was seven. Uh, in the Spanish influenza, and his German grandmother said, "You are now the man of the house at seven yeah, and he just stopped really paying attention to himself mm -hmm. and his feelings and his needs, and he grew up using the 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 practice of you do what 's logical, you do what 's right, and um, emotions are really dangerous mm -hmm. uh they're there you don't do what you feel like doing you do what's right mm -hmm. and what you should do well i'm built as a, a kind of a living empathy bus mm -hmm. and at first you know and and i'm I, as you can tell i've got a lot of you know vitality and you excitement got, and exuberance you got italian you know. the communication yeah. genes yes that's right uh, uh, yeah <laughs> and so, so i'm like <laughs> you know, this, wait a minute, you know, and I can remember I had so many conversations that I'm going, wait a minute, not, 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 emotions are really important. Yeah. Let me tell you why, you know, and it's like, no, never worked. So, you know, when I ran and so all I got was, you know, his intellectual diagnostic and predictive mm. and just in demanding kind of stuff. So, okay. All right. So I, I went and, uh, uh, you know, started attending Marshall stuff and it just really began to make a lot of sense to me. Um, the whole idea that the sort of violent forms of language, judging, blaming, uh, taking somebody's, criticizing, uh, demanding, all that kind of stuff. It just, it, it disrupted and interrupted the relationship. Mm -hmm. In spite of the fact that person was trying to get something, she, there was a need. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to get it met. Yeah, but they did it in a way that made me not. Oh, that's the third. Th I forgot to get the third thing. Marshall said about um, anger is you've got the, a very important need that's whatever you're worried about. You're telling yourself somebody should, ought to, or is supposed to, but you're about to act in a way that will guarantee they won't. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit of <laughs> and, and that's what would happen. Yeah, you know, um, and so I slowly had to, you know, figure out that. If somebody used that kind of expression with me, that rather than meeting them head on, counter diagnosing or debating, oh, no, that's not really true. That's not fair. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it was better for me to just kind of pause. And this is, I think you were talking about uh, under the hat. Yeah. Just pause for a moment and go, okay, so can I figure out what's really going on here? What's the unmet need that they're talking about? And, um, if I have the presence of mind to do that, and I can really direct the conversation in a very different direction, do I do that regularly? Uh-uh. <laughs> I, I, I practice, you know, I practice, I'll meet kind with kind. But the nice thing is that very quickly as the misery, you know, escalates, I go, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> wait yeah. a minute. Okay, so let's back off. Let me ask this. If I did what you would really like me to have done or that I would do, what would make that better for you? Mm -hmm. How would that be, you know, important? And then I, they start to talk about why. Yeah. And then I, I try to, okay, so what you're really looking for is you wish that I were more 
um, diligent in managing my schedule and my time. And, yes. and so things got taken care of and you didn't have to worry about it, you know, because did it get taken care of or not? It, does it, is that sound about right? Yeah. Uh-huh, that's about right. Yeah. Okay, and if I were able to do that, my guess is that what, what would be nice about that is you'd like to relax a lot more. Yeah. You'd like to have more time and energy available to what, do whatever you mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I want, you know. <laughs> and then, then we're connected up. Yeah. And I'm also, because I can see and feel how important it is yeah. for them to have more, to be more relaxed and have more time. I naturally want to meet the need. Yeah. Because it's touched me. Yes, yeah. This is another really fascinating piece of this whole nonviolent communication approach. Um, but you, one of your questions was, you know, if somebody wants something, we don't maybe want to hear what they want because we're afraid you know, we'll, we'll be forced to do it or whatever. Right. What I let me just tell you a story. So, my wife founded a book club like forty years ago, and <clears throat> and uh, she and another friend. And it was a wonderful book club. It had both men and women, and it was it just worked really well. Well, I have a very hard time with reading. Um, I'm a very slow reader. Uh, and so the book club would meet, pick a book, and I would very often have trouble finishing reading the book, even if it was eight weeks later, I'd still have a hard time. So after a while, I started to just feel really badly that you know I wasn't able to do that. And I said, would it be all right with you if I just didn't do book club because I'm not a very good member in the sense of reading it and everything. And she, and she was very distraught about that. Is your wife? Puzzled. Yeah, my wife, yeah. yeah. She was very distraught about that. And I'm like, initially, I just kept explaining why I would like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it, bingo, the, the old giraffe awakened within me and went, um, <clears throat> you might want to find out why she wants you to come. Yeah. Why it's so important because she's not giving up. So I said, could you tell me why it's so important to you that I would come to book club? She goes, well, because I started it. Okay. Okay. And I really want you, it's really important to me, and I want you to share in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, remind me again when the next book club's scheduled. I'm going to be there. Yeah. Just, I mean, and it was a genuine transformation in my desires just because I was able to get to that need level. Mm-hmm. And at that level, we touch each other, and very often people who come together and they look like they've got really going to have a real problem because mm-hmm. um, they're competing, whatever's. If they're able to somehow put together a conversation that gets down to why the thing it is I want is really important to me, yeah, the dream I have that I'm trying to realize, and I think that's what needs to be done. If we get to that level, it's very often transformative yeah. in both directions. And the if, if I'm able to share the same thing with them, we both end up going, I want to do something to meet your need in the way that you want it to be met. Right. So if I'm understanding you right, your reticence was the pressure of having to read a book to share. Yeah. And so you didn't want to be involved because of the pressure. But if I interpreted you correctly, what she was saying is she doesn't really care whether you read the book. She just wanted you to be there. That's right. Because it was really a special thing for her that has been such a part of her life. Yeah. She was very proud of and really enjoyed. And when I was able to participate, she really liked what I offered. Good. So I'm like, oh, wow. Now I really want to come. And she's yeah. like, you do? Yeah. I go, yeah, I really do. I'm really glad. I And, and it, 
it happens. It's happened over and over in our relationship that <laughs> if I disrupt the jackal dance in my own head yeah. and the jackal behavior, and ask myself, okay, what is what is she probably feeling? What might it be related to? And start to try to find that out. Yeah. It's amazing the shifts that take place. And uh, I, I, you know, I, we talked in email about the fact that our societal training and how to talk to each other and how to express ourselves and da-da-da-da-da is often the first thing we start doing. And there's no nonviolent communication anywhere in the room or in the neighborhood. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. Yeah. But... But when the, when the giraffe awakens and the light goes on, it's really incredible how transformative that can be. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and I remember asking Marshall way long ago, I said, do you talk this way all the time? Yeah. And he goes, oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> he said, that'd be way too hard. Yeah. He said, I'll tell you what I do. I get very good at cleaning up my messes. Yeah. That's, so that's the way I look at it because – one of the things that people in my book, um, they go, well, gee, I guess I have to follow. There's this formula that you talk about what it is that's happened that you're reacting to, what your feeling is, what your need is underneath the feeling, and then what you'd like right at, the, at that moment. And they think, oh, I need to talk in that format all the time. Yeah. Well, that's pretty annoying to most people. It is, yeah. And so, Especially if, if uh, they know you really well. Yeah, that's right. And they know <laughs> you're doing that, aren't you? You're doing that. You're messing with me. Yeah, you're messing with me. That's right. Don't try to pull that nonviolent communication bullshit with me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had, when I say it in my book, I, in the beginning, I did exactly that. And, um, <laughs> and I, was, I started to hear the message, can't you just talk normal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what I learned is, was that what mattered, that those were four pieces of information that it was important for me to look for. Yeah. And to try to make those the focus of the conversation. Yeah. Rather than any diagnoses or judgments or demands or, or whatever criticisms. Yeah. But to really, first of all, I really want to know what it is that you're reacting to, what's happened. Yeah. And then I'd like to know what kinds of feelings are triggered. Yeah. And then I'd like to, and, and I usually have to help people get to this next part. Um, where are those feelings coming from? What is it that didn't happen that you wanted to have happen? Why is it important? And to try to get that out. Then the last piece is, is there something they might like from me right now? And so I might end up by saying, okay, um, is there anything that you would like me to do right now that, w that would be helpful? Um, or could you tell me, I'd really like to know how you're feeling when you hear what I've said. Yes. You know, just, just let's talk. Mm. Um, so that's the fourth piece, but the idea being, those are the topic areas that I want to learn something about and focus on rather than the diagnostic stuff that has saved my bacon. So I just go about life normal, you know, normal, talking normal yeah. and, uh, and, and knowing that, but there are times when I know, okay, this is going to be really challenging. So yeah. I do intentionally start out mm. with the dream the four pieces of information you yeah. know and all that kind of stuff because yeah. i want you put your tool belt on yeah i want to set the tone and the ground and the frame yeah we're not going to diagnose you that's not part of what this what we're going to do here is this yeah and um people just really respond wonderfully when i'm able to do that and uh 
that's that's why I'm so eager to try to help people understand that and uh, learn how to do that as well, that those are really valuable pieces of information and um, that's a good thing to be sharing and to be hearing and learning about. And it, anyway, but it's not a simple, it's not a simple magical practice. No, it isn't. Yeah. Uh, Waylon, you know, it's a, it's a very important conversation we're having, but there's some words that have come up a couple of times, which I think we should elaborate on. But before we elaborate on them, I'm going to bring up a concept that I created for my life and my students, which is the pain teacher. Mm-hmm. So I know that when the pain teacher shows up, I got to switch to NVC, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh-oh, right. this isn't yep. going out very yep. well. Yeah, uh, She misunderstood me or they didn't get me or they thought I was being Or mean. I was being a jerk. Uh, yeah, yeah, but that wasn't my intention. So yep. I got to I gotta, I gotta yep. do some giraffe work. So um, the, the key point is, you're right, NVC is a total different language and it can... For people that you know, like family members, they can feel like you're toying with them. So it's easier just to speak normal. But I think if we orient ourselves to paying attention to what's the need behind what's being said, instead of letting ourselves get triggered and having the pain teacher show up with its pitchfork, yeah, we say, okay, I can see this is not moving. It's it's not we're we're losing our connection. Yeah, well, right? I'll often say, I think we're going someplace we really don't want to go. Right. Where it's just so. Let me back up and try something different and it's it's um i i i always have struggled with the formulation that nonviolent communication is a way of speaking because it i don't believe it really is i think it's an orientation i i'm orienting and looking at certain things in a certain way based on certain understanding and belief about human beings work and and how they work. Um, And there are, there are key topics Mm -hmm. to focus on. There are specific kinds of ways of talking that are good to avoid. Yeah. Um, And um, so it's not really a way of talking. Um, I think it's a way of connecting. It is a, I, I've always found myself for years going back to saying it's a way, a place from which you live. Mm-hmm. It's an orientation. It's yeah. an attitude. Yeah. And that place is one where you're really focused on essentially getting down to identifying the needs that are motivating the behavior and trying to have a conversation at that level. Yeah. And you're understanding that this person over here is not filled with ill will. They may have very miserable tactics that they're using that yeah. are very hard for you. Yeah. But they're coming. There is a motivation in them that you can understand if you if you find it. Yeah. I think if I was to to look at it from the language of chemistry that nonviolent communication would be a catalyst. A catalyst is something that creates a change well, but does not yeah. lose its own identity. It, it, it's a catalyst for connection. Yeah. I would say that. It, it creates the, the two solutions, yeah. blend and bond and yeah. new molecules. But it doesn't lose itself in the process. No, no, no. Yeah, it's an approach to communicating and an understanding and a faith uh, in um, other people. 
Yes. So what I'd like to do, because we've we've used these words, and I'm sure people are going, "What the hell does he mean by jackling?" And what is oh, a yeah. giraffe? So yes. the, the three, the three, some of the th- tools that I found most helpful when I went through NVC training, and I use them with clients a lot because it makes it more fun. And I have the puppets. I have the jackal puppet, the giraffe mm-hmm. puppet, the hand puppet, and I have a hat that I saved specifically for going under the hat. So why don't you explain the three features of the jackal? the giraffe and the hat for yeah. people. Because yeah. I think those anyone can use those just listening to oh, the yeah. podcast. Yeah. A Marshall came up with those as labels for different ways of, well, the, the, the jackal and giraffe, for different ways of going about communicating. Uh, so let's just, to make it very simple, jackal is the language of blame, you know, should, judge, yeah. demand, da-da-da-da-da. I call it that, jackling off. Jack, yes. Well, that's very good. Jackling off. I yeah. jackle off all over you. I'm sorry about that. Um, and um, let me see if I can help clean up. Uh, yes. Get over here, giraffe, Jerry Giraffe. Yes. Um, and giraffe, he chose as the symbol of the nonviolent sort of understanding and way of going about communicating. And one of the things he that attracted him giraffe to giraffes is that they have the largest heart of land mammal. Yes. Land mammal. Mm-hmm. They have very long necks. Yeah. So they see the distance. They, yeah. they look at the long view. Yes. And that's part of the, when I'm talking to the, you know, this uh, uh, family member who's a very diligent Republican, I'm thinking of the long view, which mm-hmm. is the long view is I know we have a whole lot in common, and I want to get there. Yeah. I'm not getting stuck in that, the momentary whatever. Mm-hmm. He happens to be a very nice, compassionate man, mm-hmm. and that makes it very easy, yeah. or made it easier. And he loved me mm-hmm. and respected me. So, yeah, that all made it a, a lot easier. But the bottom line is I think that the, the idea that I had of starting with what do we have in common and going from there um, would work with a lot in a lot of situations, uh, very, very many situations. But back to giraffe. So, when I, the reason I wrote my book is that Marshall hadn't written a book at, up to that point. And I said, Marshall, you need to have a book. This, and he was like you, too busy out on the road spreading it. Yeah. And I said, okay, I'm going to do what I can to create a primer. Mm-hmm. And the first version I called it a primer in nonviolent communication. Mm-hmm. Because I felt that the core pieces needed to be out there for people. Yeah. So, um, one of the things he said in one of, I, I went through several of his trainings for trainers over the years. And one of the things he said is you want to, when, when you're going to be with people, working with people, you want to give it away as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So that was really a guiding thought in my creating the book because I wanted to keep it simple, yeah. give it away quickly. So as I started looking into, I, I decided I needed to find out about uh, jackals. Yeah. Because I thought, why has he chosen the jackal? I mean, everybody thinks bad things. Well, I found out (laughs) Mm. jackals are a very adorable, cute animal that live in Africa. They're very family-oriented. And um, so I went back to him and I said, "Um, Marshall, um, I'd like to show you a picture of jackal (laughs) and tell you about them. And he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I apologize to the jackals of the universe. (laughs) So... So if jackals are wonderful, this is just a shorthand um, way of talking about the disruptive, destructive forms of speech. So yeah. that's why he used the jackal. And he would do it 
like you with the puppets. Or the jackal would talk this way and the mm -hmm. giraffe would talk that way and, and make it fun. Now, the under the hat, that wasn't something that I really learned much about when I was training with them in the early days. Oh, is that right? But I think what that was is where you, you, you have been triggered and you yeah. give yourself a moment and you go inside and you work on what's going on in you. Yeah. You give yourself some empathy, maybe clarify what's been triggered, why it's been triggered, and you know, just sort of help yourself calm down. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, well, you, the way I was taught by my mother is, is that you, you go under the hat and you give all your judgments under the hat instead of to the person. Oh, okay. So that, okay. That, this, that's good. This asshole, Jesus Christ, blah, blah, <laughs> I blah. I can't blah. believe anybody would be this yes, stupid. Yes, and so, but, but, you, but you don't express that. Okay, you, that's good. You, you discharge it inside of yourself <laughs> and so that you can then feel like you've released it, but then you can try to switch to giraffe mode. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and here's the nice thing about that. If I listen to my jackaling, yes. all the things, I slowly begin to go, what is it that I'm feeling, needing, and wanting? Right. So I can kind of get down to that reconnected place um, and just let the insanity talk just sort of go through its thing, but learn from it. Yeah. You know, I want to tell people too, because I think this is important, your book is a small book. It's a, what, 67 or... No, it's 91 pages. 91 pages, but it's like... It's very small format. It's, it's quarter pocket. size. You yeah. can put it in your pocket, yeah. and it's easy to read. And I've read the the Marshall Rosenberg's main book. Yeah, it's and, about 250 pages, yeah. something like that. And But the thing is, is that I, I it was... To me, it was overwhelming, because whenever... I kept finding myself in situations where I realized later I hadn't practiced it because I got too triggered... But when I got your book, I found that it made a simple roadmap. I could just keep a few things in my mind. Mm -hmm. Like, what are they, what are, I want to listen for their needs. I've got to be careful not to use jackal language. Um, I, I, and, you know, so what are their wants, feelings, and needs? Um, and what are mine? What are mine? And how can we find a way to have empathy for each other so we can connect? So there's just like the key principles. Mm -hmm. I think are very practicable. Mm -hmm. And, uh, for, you know, I have your book on my desk. I've had it on my desk for a long time. In fact, I often have to dust it off because it's sitting there for so long, you know. And, <laughs> well, that's very lovely to hear. You know, and, and like I said, I, I left notes and I, I created my own diagrams so I could synthesize things into an image because I'm a very visual person. Mm -hmm. But I want the listeners to know that this little book is very practical. It's real easy to read, and it's got the most important elements of nonviolent communication. So I think before you even go do a nonviolent communication training program or read a, oh, big, yeah, a bigger, longer book, idea. Yeah. it's actually simple because if you practice that and you feel rewarded, then you know that you have the, shall we say, the, the right stuff to go deeper into mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But, but I, I don't think anyone needs to go further than your book until they practice that because it's kind of like learning the basics of any skill. You know, yeah. you don't want to learn to do fancy stuff before you know the rules uh, of I the game. I think Marshall felt he wanted to cover a whole bunch of different arenas where yeah. it would be applied, education, politics, and all of that, and, and, and that's wonderful, but as, as I say, I just thought, boy, they need a primer, and yeah. I'm really glad that I did. My book has 
continue to sell steadily for, so what are we at now, 24 years? Um, and uh, somebody had my book on a train in France. A guy was sitting next to him many years ago, and he happened to be working for a publisher and was their English to French uh, translator. This publisher produces like a, a kiosk of Cliff Notes little mm -hmm. books yeah. on all these like health topics, you know, eating this way and, you know, parenting and whatever. Um, and this just fit perfectly into their, you know, uh, smorgasbord of, of, of single topic things. And that book is sold, I think now I'm over between US and over there, I'm probably near 150,000 copies. Yeah, that's great. Which is really rewarding to me because um, most nonfiction things just peter out after a number of years. But well, it's actually, because uh, this, this, it has a relevance and a hardness to it that I think keeps it alive. Yeah, 90% of books in the world go out of print after the first print run. And 90% um, of books are not read past the first chapter. Really? Yeah, those are statistics I got from wow. my publishing agent. Wow. Yeah. Well, no, I guess I'm not the only one who doesn't read books <laughs> all the way through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, and here I am writing a great big book. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, <know>. well. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know I, I'm, I'm writing a big book, but it's it's meant to be for the people that really are committed to spiritual growth but i'm writing a beginner's guide which will be more like your book so right. that people can say yeah well if i like this then i'll read the big book yeah so i know that's I'm, brilliant i'm writing a dr seuss kind of version of oh it. how fun yeah and then a workbook symbiotica makes an amazing product called liposomal b12 i love it it tastes great it's very effective but I am not the technical engineer behind the genius of the product, and the man that is is sitting right here. So, Shervine, tell us what is unique about liposomal B12, and why should people consider using it? Well, I'd like to call it a much longer name, but in the <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you could. Yeah, it, but at the scope of you know having to label something, it's called liposomal B12. But in actuality, it's liposomal methylcobalamin and liposomal adenosylcobalamin, which are two forms of B12 that are readily um, usable by the body in terms of cellular energy and methylation. Hmm. We also have L-methylfolate in there and vitamin B6 pyridoxine mm -hmm. in combination with fulvic minerals, which actually push the vitamins to do their job. And you know, a lot of people talk about B12 being an energy producer, right. but it's not a stimulant. Mm -hmm. What it does is it cleans up the cell, allows the cell to properly methylate, which means cleansing the cell, yeah. which ultimately when you cleanse the cell, you get more energy. So yeah. this, this formula it, and it being in liposomal form is probably all of our all of my top athletes' favorite product. And I use it every single day. And another thing to just really quick jump on is we have this whole thing with MTHFR gene mutation. Yeah, That's a big thing that everyone now is getting tested on. A lot of children are considered to be on the spectrum when the whole time they weren't properly methylating. Right. This is, you know, fuel for that fire of the methylation process. That's specifically what this product is. This is a methylator. Which means what to the layman? Which means that it allows the body to recognize which cells need to be cleansed, yeah. which cells need to have pro programmed death. 
apoptosis, mm -hmm. helps the body go into autophagy. All of the things regarding macrophages and cellular cleanup and all that stuff, you need this nutrient in these forms to have a very cohesive system. And today we need clean cells and it actually works very fast as well. I mean, when I squirt it in my mouth, I can feel it happening quickly. It's almost immediately. And just like any other Symbiotica product, there's no additives, there's no fillers. We've really upgraded the original product to where we're at today. And if you're listening to this, you're going to be getting the new version of this, which is just through the roof. It tastes delicious. It's awesome. It's in our Myron glass bottle. So it's blocked from ultraviolet light. This stuff is, you know, it's, it's the best ever. Yeah. Awesome. So if you want to get the world's greatest liposomal B12, go to symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com, and use the code CHECK15 on checkout. You won't be disappointed. A question that I had is, what do you think Marshall Rosenberg would have to say with all the censorship going on in the world right now? Well, tell me what you are meaning when you say censor censorship. Well, for example, if you publish anything at all on any social media platform that suggests that vaccinations that are the, the COVID vaccinations are maybe not safe or aren't based on solid science or that you have other opinions or that you have that you think uh, ivermectin is a better approach or any of the natural approaches, you will immediately be taken down. And if you do it mm -hmm. a couple of times, they'll ban you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Angie's been kicked off Facebook for about five times for sharing things like case histories of people that she's worked with that have gotten badly injured by the vaccines or died. Oh. Ah. Uh, so you basically cannot say anything that goes against their agenda because of the censorship. Yeah, yeah. What would Marshall say? It's a really challenging issue, um, I think, because of the nature of it. The condition that's being treated, the, the, the virus thing, it's global in scale. Yeah. That, it's, it's gigantic, so it affects billions of people. Um, it's, it started out and we didn't know the scientific community didn't know hardly anything about it. And so they've been researching, researching, researching and, and learning like initially didn't seem like masks were, um, valuable. And then the research showed something different. So there's a completely evolving sort of discovery process about how this whole thing works. Yeah, And then you've got, because it's such a broad scale, you've got governments being afraid mm -hmm. of um, not having people do what at that point in time looks like the very best thing to do. So then they come in with the, these constrictions and restrictions. If anything is, you know, way in, way in their mind, way out of the science realm. So they're working from a place of fear that people's well-being is not going to be helped. And then you've got the fact that it's this whole energy that's out there on the, in, in the political world, but also in the health healthcare opinion world. Everybody's against everybody mm -hmm. and very vitriolic about it and yeah. um, angry and defensive and whatever. So 
you've got that there's a volatility and a aggressiveness on both sides that I don't think is constructive no. in the longer run. And there's the and that there's not been any dialogue. Yeah. Um, which we were talking about before. My guess would be, and this is a complete guess, um, and probably it's just because I'm projecting the way I feel about it, um, that it's really sad. Mm -hmm. It's not sad that we have such different perspectives, but I guess for me, that it, the intensity of defensiveness and aggression over the other one that, that's going both ways, I just... I'm really, really sorry to see that because I think it doesn't help. No. And it, and it also, it's just, it's part of that basic movement right now in humanity where we're much more into taking other people's inventory that yeah. are different from us and feeling that's okay to do. Yeah. You know, I, I can just speak out and say you're an idiot. And uh, from a a big picture human evolution perspective, um, I I think we're in a, We've been in for a while here, a period of time when, for whatever reason, the shadow sides of humanity have been showing up. Yes. So all the bigotry and all the anger and all the judgmentalness that were going on silently. Um, you know, Donald Trump really created great sort of a <laughs> inspirational platform for letting that stuff out. And it's all there. Yeah. You can't blame him. It's in, it's in all, all, all of us. But... We've just whipped this up into such a miserable um, finger pointing and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just wish that there were a more reasoned uh, approach. Um, but I think the fact that it's a global scale threat and people are, governments are terrified that it's, they've just become way too closed. You know? Yeah, the, the other part of it too that, that's... Uh, problematic is they're not just censoring people they're destroying their names their careers yes so many for example many whistleblowers have come out from inside these organizations yes. like pfizer and the next That's thing right. you know they're you you could have read their wikipedia page and then the day after they come out with some truth that they manufacturers don't want people to know about their wikipedia change has now labeled them as a villain and and they're completely destroying their credibility. So, so that's probably isn't Wikipedia um, a kind of an open edit yes, thing? Yeah. So that may be people in the corporation going, "Oh, it is okay. It's, it's, it's we're going to rewrite this person's thing." Yeah, and it's sad. Yeah, but that that Wikipedia. I mean, I love the model, but it has have this vulnerability. What are yeah. you going to do about that? Well, that's just know? one example. I mean, they're yeah. doing it in many other ways. Another example. No, I know that. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. published the book, The Real Anthony Fauci, showing a very comprehensive analysis of his dealings and how much profit he's made off of things and how much time he spent deceiving the public. And, and it's very factual and heavily referenced and yep. anyone can research. But uh, I think I think Amazon maybe – I think Amazon's selling it. It was New York Times that has been bashing it. It's gotten mm -hmm. taken off of shelves. Yeah. But there's powers above that don't That's want right. it published. That's right. But he's already sold over a million copies. Yeah. So the point being is there's an example of censorship. And and if Marshall Rosenberg was here, I would say, how what do you, what do you diagnose this as? If you look at humanity, 
as an organism, as a person, like every human being is a cell and a mm-hmm. larger organism mm-hmm. we'll mm-hmm. call the human, mm-hmm. what would you say is going on with this person? You know, and I, I would say there's a whole lot more jackal energy running around out in the open. Yeah. On all sides. Yeah. That is really good for us in the long run. Yeah. I really, um, I think that the more we stay entrenched in this really dramatic polarization, and it's not just, I believe differently, but you are blah, 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 and, and I'm angry at you. No, I'm angry. The longer we stay in that, the slower it's going to be that we find constructive ways forward. Yeah. And that's the thing that, that I think I would think that that would be some of what Marshall would be concerned about is we have really uh, allowed ourselves to say kind of relish the jackal mm-hmm. energy and style yeah. on pretty much all camps. Because that leads to segregation. Well, yeah, you get people that are, you know, well, that's it. It's division. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get these two camps. There's no ability to have dialogue because people are doing the blaming and the angry and all that. And it's like, oh, please, you don't have to do that. You know, you mm. don't have to villainize people. Yeah. Um, you get to say your, what's your truth is. Yeah. Um, and again, I think that the over, uh, the, the clamping down, oh, it's so complicated because there's, you know, before the whole um, uh, pandemic uh debate and, and all that kind of stuff and the censorship going on there before that was going on you've had for god i don't know maybe eight seven or eight years you've had um russians and probably chinese i don't know but i know for sure that it's been demonstrated utilizing the internet yeah to feed and create propaganda this yeah. stuff, this mm. this resentment, and, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and fuel it and everything. And they've chosen actually one of the areas they chose to specifically target was the anti-vax people, yeah, mm-hmm. to just feed into that and awaken all that. So you've already got a long-term effort that's been going on to create this kind of massive, yeah. angry division and distrust and everything. And then yeah. you bring in the, you know, no, so now it gets even magnified more because. Now we're not just debating over who's a good politician or not, but now we're debating over life and death stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And so people are even more crazy. And I I just feel really, really sad that we're going that way. Um, and I, I would like it, you know, if I were sitting with somebody that was anti-vax, I would like to see what it would be like if I could have the kind of conversation with them that I had with this man who was, yeah. um, you know, the Republican. Yeah. Because I know we have a whole lot in common, and I I don't like draconian stuff, but I also don't like when there's massive misinformation, which was what was going on back politically, and, and, and you can't figure out which is which. No, that's part of the strategy. It's a classic brainwashing strategy. I've studied it extensively, but... I don't think we'll solve that one right now. No, but, but I was just curious because it, it because as from a from the perspective of communication, it's very violent to censor people, and it's also very dangerous because it destroys diversity. That's right. And so what we happens? We need to work together. Yeah, diversity is stability, and yeah. so censorship is like monocropping. Mm-hmm. And and I got a thousand books in here showing you how that destroys the soil <laughs> and the environment. It's been very very well meant. Yeah, and so. 
um, which is a great setup for my next question. Empathy is a very important component of nonviolent communication. And I think when we're jackling, and in general, the psychological structure of most people in the world today, it, it, we haven't been taught about empathy, how to use empathy, the power of mm -hmm. empathy. So I'd love it if you could talk about how we can use empathy as a mode of better communication and being more nonviolent in our communication. Because ultimately, you know, one of the things that people do when they don't feel heard is they keep saying the same That's thing over exactly and over right. and over That's and over exactly again. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so people get pissed off. God damn it, I'm tired of hearing you say that. Or, you know, worse. But the reality is people repeat themselves until they feel heard. And empathy, I think, is a key tool for that connection mm -hmm. so that someone feels heard. So can you elaborate a bit on why and how to go about using empathy? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think uh, there's there are two things that come to mind. One is... Uh, Probably the first need that people have in a dialogue situation is to be heard. Yeah. Okay. But there's a second part. And Oprah Winfrey, I read a quote many years ago of, of something. And she said, essentially, it's not just to be heard, but then to know that what you heard matters to you. Yes. Yeah. So I can pare it back and say, well, that's what you said. But then... Do you know whether that matters to me that you feel that way? You know, do do I care? Do I, you know, so I, I think it's important to understand it's not just a matter of hearing, but people want to have it matter to the other person. And matter means uh, probably translates into I respect it. Yeah. I don't, you know, belittle you. I don't whatever. Um, I treat, I take you seriously. I assume that you're coming from a, a place of goodwill. Um, and so, you know, you and what you think, um, is important to me. I care yeah. about it. So that now how, okay. First of all, um, human evolution has constructed a brain that is designed for social interaction. Yeah. We have motor cortex things going on. Mm -hmm. And so we're wired to be able to empathize yeah uh because that it was is incredibly important in terms of keeping a group together and making it work well well that's that's the basis of mirror neurons yeah that's right yeah. that's what mirror neurons, mirror neurons yeah motor neuron we got the wrong term i think there yeah mirror neurons and um so i think we interrupt ourselves from being able to do that when we put ourselves in that when we put the polarizing glasses on and look at a person and a situation in terms of good, bad, right, wrong, shoulds, you know, reasonable, unreasonable, all that moralistic diagnostic stuff. Just we, we create a noise that really, I think, disrupts our ability to, to empathize. So that's where understanding that what you have said, I may be triggered by and I'll go under the hat and do my internal self-cleanup, settle yeah, down with. Yeah. Detox. Detox, yeah. Release. Um, don't catch and release. Yeah. Um, uh, or actually catch yourself before you do it and then release it. But um, getting, then refocusing on 
what is this? It, it's those four pieces. What's this person reacting to? Sort of yeah. what's the subject? What are the feelings? Mm-hmm. What do I think they are? Um, and why are, where are those feelings coming from? So mm-hmm. it's a matter of going, I'm going to find out what, I'm going to try to find out what's going on in them mm-hmm. rather than telling them what I think of them or right. their ideas. Yeah. So what's going on? What are you thinking about? Oh, well, mm-hmm. well, because I thought blah, 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 I remember blah, blah. Oh, okay. And it sounds like that was something that you really didn't feel comfortable with. You know, well, what was wrong with it for you? Mm-hmm. What, what, how would you like to have seen it to be different? What would have made that better for you? Why would that have been a more satisfying thing? I'm now wanting to get to know you. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at what's going on inside of you mm-hmm. and trying to understand it. And you're getting a feeling that I'm more curious mm-hmm. than judgmental. Yes. And when I hear these deeper elements of what's going on in you, I naturally am touched. Mm-hmm. And you can see it. You can feel it. And that's the, I'm not only heard, but I find out it matters to the other person. That's where the connection happens. That's, a, that's the only way a connection happens that I know of. Yeah. is when you do that. I think, you know, I'm your classic alpha male type. I have been all my life. And, you know, I work with the greatest athletes in the world and badasses, you know, of all types from motocross racers to X gamers to kickboxers to you name it. I mean, the, some of the baddest dudes on the planet have been right in this room. Some and, of the most expert jackal people are. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so yeah, what I'm leading to though is, yeah. and I think this is not just a Western thing. I think this is a worldwide thing because this is very strong in Australia. It's very strong in Latin countries. And I think that males have an inherent sense that being empathetic is a sign of weakness. I believe that is a common part of our, in our culture. Not all cultures, because I know there are some that don't do that, but they're in yeah. the minority. Yeah, they are the minority. And, you know, is it Judeo-Christian? Is it, I mean, I don't know, I don't know enough about those things to know where, what the origin is, but... Um, I think that is a programming that yeah. that's very universal, and that's why people need to listen to uh, something like this to go, oh, oh, that can create problems. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. oh, wow, this is an alternative that is equally powerful. Yeah, um, it's a different way of having power. Yeah, uh, and um, it's productive. Yeah. It produces something so males enjoy having a sense of power and productivity and generativity. And wow, this way of listening isn't a matter, isn't actually a form of weakness because I'm not sympathizing and patting the person on the back and I'm not like agreeing with them. I'm just going about engaging with them in a way that it's going to be far more constructed and productive in the long run. Mm-hmm. So it's about, oh, one way to that I've been taught is to be domineering and shut off from your emotions and don't cry. And if you cry, apologize and mm-hmm. don't show weakness. Okay, so that's just a whole learned package. Does yeah. it have to be lived out? And the answer is no, but it's hard to break out of the patterning because we get it from you know, moment we come out, you know, of the womb and school and everywhere. everything, everywhere. Yeah. I don't know if that's true, like in Hindu 
you know. I think it's probably less, but there's plenty of it there too, because I have lots of students from India, and I've had many patients from India. Hi, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. I thought I'd take a minute to sing you a little song. Dr. Quiet, she is yin. Know how she loves to bring energy in. She teaches you how to rest, so your energy is always at its best. Hey! And I want to tell you a little secret. You know how I support Dr. Quiet? I use Organifi Gold, and it does some magic to help you sleep deeper and restore better so you can get up and be a freedom fighter first thing in the morning and all through the day. And I got Drew Canoli, who created the product right here, right now, to tell us why it works so well. Drew, what's so unique about Organifi Gold except the fact that my kids won't stop asking for it? I love this song. Thank you. And I think if we were DJing this, we would do Rishi. Because Rishi, full spectrum, eight to one, beta glucans, knock you out. The queen of mushroom. Rishi is one of the most powerful things we can put in our body, especially at night. Helps restore, revitalize, great for the liver. Yeah. So while we sleep, not only are we restoring and repairing the cells, but we're detoxing in the most effective way possible. Yes. And it doesn't have to taste bad. In fact, it could be something you crave. Yeah. And that's Organifi Gold. It tastes like Autumn had a baby with a marshmallow. Every time I have it, it just knocks me out. I've literally tracked it with my whoop, my aura ring, yeah. and it adds another hour to an hour and a half of deep sleep. That's great. Ramen deep every single night. You know what's also really cool? Rishi is a wise man. Mm. It's not only the name of a mushroom, but a Rishi is a wise man. Oh, true story. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's absolutely true. I'm not so, pulling your leg. And how much wisdom have you and I gained from night school? A Dream lot time. of wisdom. Yep. Yes, and you gain a lot when you can't sleep. You go, what am I doing wrong? And how do I get it fixed up? So, hey, you know, one time when I was visiting you at your house, you made me a gold, Organifi Gold as a hot tea, and I'd never realized you could make it hot. It's the best way. And I was like blown away. I'm like, wow, this is incredibly good. It tastes like dessert. Mm-hmm. But it, unlike most sweet things, if you take sweet stuff at night you can't sleep very well and it jacks you up but this stuff was just so relaxing and so amazing i was like wow this is incredible and i know you're allergic to coconut yeah right so but what i like to do and this is when i'm being bad you see there's a much bigger cannoli than the cannoli you see today i I would eat ice cream and all kinds of comfort food because i'm from michigan Uh but one thing that put my cravings in check i take a little cocoa whip yeah. I put it on top of this oh, golden nice. tea. Okay. It is the best drink yeah. at night you could ever have. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm intolerant. I'm not allergic. So I did That's try it, it. It just makes me feel stressed. But I found that, you know, if I don't overdo it, I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to have everybody try Organifi Gold because we all need to sleep deep and pay attention to what our soul tells us while we dream so we can work together to mm. make this world a beautiful place for everybody and get our freedom back and get rid of the toxins in the government and other things we need to do. So it starts with good nutrition. Go to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com and get your Organifi Gold. And while you're there, use the code C-H-E-K-20 in all caps to get your 20% discount because we want you on our freedom fighting team right now. Love you guys. Enjoy Organifi Gold. I think also there's another underlying theme that I think isn't so related to the sex, male or female. Mm -hmm. And that is um, my observation. And I had this fear in the beginning was that if I'm empathetic to somebody, I might not get what I need because it looks like I'm bowing to their Ah, demands. Ah, 
Okay. So yeah, I'm just curious what your thoughts, how can you, how do you think we can use empathy without feeling like we're, um, lowering ourselves or our need to feel like we, we need to get something and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, you know, just a simple analogy, Uh, you know, take the, the typical young man with a high sex drive who's pressuring his wife for sex, but she's resisting. Mm -hmm. If he becomes empathetic to her, he thinks I'm not going to get laid. That might be his internal story that he worries about right but right. you see the the point i'm right. just using that as a general okay. example yeah to yeah, say yeah 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 it's yeah. an example I, of how, i think i'm getting what you're yeah saying. what i'm saying is if i'm empathetic to someone they automatically assume that they've got me mm-hmm. so the debate is now being lost or or whatever and 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 i think part of that is is we have such a patriarchal influence that we even have a lot of masculinized woman and women in the way they relate sure. to each oh, other yeah um you know, and I know Amy's talked about this on her podcast, and she's one of many women I've had to help um, demasculinize and get back into their feminine core, awaken their Aphrodite, awaken their Aphrodite, and 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 <laughs> and she's done very good at it. I'm very proud of her. Yeah, because um, I've got to watch her grow a lot, and 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 I know, you know, I'm 60 now, so like when I was younger, I was a competitive kickboxer, a boxer, a motocross racer a rodeo rider, everything I did <laughs> was, was just kick <laughs> yeah, ass yeah. And, and just win. Don't, Power and win. If you kill someone, all the better. It means yeah. you're even more of a <laughs> yeah. badass. Yeah, that's right. You, you know, so um, when you, co- like, as I aged, I and I, I just realized, God, I'm inviting the pain teacher into my life so often and I'm having pain <laughs> with yeah. the, the people that I love the most are driving me the craziest and I'm finding myself in situations where I don't want to be around the people that I love the most. Mm-hmm. So I actually sort of kind of like a fig, I got riper and riper and I finally fell off the tree of, <laughs> of being, having to be right and, and, and forcing my opinion to, to, to being um, more empathetic to what it is that they were really after. And I think for me, the function of empathy especially when I get my, my silverback gorilla going and my hair goes up on my back and I'm, mm-hmm. um, is okay. I've got to focus on what I, I need to be able to convey my need effectively. So it's not a demand. It's not a threat. Mm-hmm. You know, what are my wants, feelings or needs, but I also have to be very interested in theirs. And I find that if I really focus on saying, if I put my orientation, not just on what's best for me, but what's best for us, mm-hmm. How can we find that? Then I find empathy isn't so scary from a masculine perspective Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because, you you know, I I tell my students, I don't care how fucking strong you are. I don't care if you can squat a thousand pounds and pull a semi truck with your teeth. You can't do anything meaningful in the world alone. You, You know, the world's all about relationships, you know. I couldn't have built the institute without the help of my wife, without oh, Angie, clear. without yeah. without my CEO, without his wife, without yeah. our instructors, without our staff, without your students, without my students, learning, learning from you, you know, without all the people that interview me. That like, when you realize that too much ego actually disables your creative ability to bring mm-hmm. anything meaningful mm-hmm. into the mm-hmm. world. But sometimes it takes a bit of, you know, you got to go through the, the you got to get some ass kickings before you finally realize what's going on, you know? <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> your jackal has to get chewed on a few yeah, more yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, damn. Your jackal, <laughs> that hurt. Your, your jackal can actually get you to the point where you're emotionally starving to death. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, okay, jackal. Woo! Yeah. I think I'm going to look for alternative mode here. Okay, so here, uh, I, 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 I think one key is a couple of the words that you used when you were talking about having a discussion with your wife. You used the word debate. Yeah. Okay. And then um, get what you wanted. Yeah. Okay. So both of those, you're already kind of putting yourself in a jackalish framework because it's yeah, a that's competition. What, that's why I it's use a those wrestling. words. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's a competition. Yeah. Okay. So now <clears throat> the difference between empathy, empathizing, and sympathizing empathizing and sympathizing try to reassure and you know whatever make them feel good about whatever mm -hmm. they're different the, that 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 sympathizing with what i'm talking about with empathy is my goal is i want to understand where you're coming from and how you work yeah so i'm not trying to learn from you information that I could then debate against or use in, yeah. a, use in a, you know, an argument. I'm really wanting to know what's going on. What is it you want? Why is it really important? How would it change your life? Da, 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 da. I wanted to learn that stuff. So uh, in doing that, I'm not telling you you're okay. I'm not telling you you have um, that I have sympathy for that. Because I'm not going for sympathy. I'm going for awareness, mm -hmm. understanding. Um, I'm going for connection. And I, I, I just want to really get connected up with where you are and what's going on. So I'm not going about it in a way that conveys I'm okay with what they want. Mm -hmm. Or think they have more of a right to it than I do. Okay, so that's... that's uh, uh, Marshall used to talk about key distinctions. There's certain things that are important to distinguish the difference between. Um, the second thing is I'm going to then follow that conversation with the person with me trying to share exactly the same thing with them. Mm -hmm. What's going on in me, why it matters. I'm not doing it. My motive is to try to uh, unfold it myself, mm -hmm. understand it more, clarify, get it, get deeper, whatever. I'm not doing it to try to win an argument, mm -hmm. to be convincing, to um, change their mind. Because what we're doing is you're basically saying, here I am, here you are. I think we, now, what can we do? Is there something we can do? Or in, the, in, in many instances, when you get to the point of, they really see clearly what matters to you and why, and you see that in them, both of you may naturally change mm -hmm. in terms of what you want yeah you may modify it mm -hmm. um like my deciding after hearing my wife you know about book club i became very happy going to book club yeah and because that was more important um and fed my soul and being more to provide that opportunity for joy to her mm -hmm. than it was for me to you know uh feel bad that i didn't read the books i just accepted okay You'll read half the book or whatever you'll get. You'll talk about what you can, and mm. that's fine. And people really like you being there anyway, so, you know, mm -hmm. fine. 
but um, it isn't a debate. That that's a key thing. That going about it as a debate, like I have to make my points and convince. Maybe I can convince you, and then you try it back. Um, if we're trying to create connection, that's not what we're wanting to do. If we're wanting to have a dialogue, yeah. And I want you to tell me your ideas and how you think would be to proceed would be good and stuff. And then I want to hear other people's and I want to share mine. And so we're then discussing um, an issue, at, but there's not an investment of you trying to. And then that that's the important thing to try to set up at the beginning of a group that's going to have a dialogue is we're not here to win, win, yeah, you know, or battle, yeah. Um, I really, and again, it comes down to I trust that what you want is coming from a positive place. Yeah. It may not be a well-informed place. It may be a misinformed place. Mm -hmm. But you're not doing it because you're an asshole or yeah. you want to, you know, uh, run the show and not listen to anybody else. Yeah. You may want to run the show and not listen to anybody else. And that's when I get to decide whether I stay with the show or not. Yes. You know. Another aspect of... NVC that I think I'd like to talk about a little bit because of the experiences I've had and what I've seen is when you're asking somebody a question like, what is it that you really need right now? And they might say, well, I really need you to uh, be home at five o'clock at night to mm -hmm. help me watch the kids. Mm -hmm. And inside of myself, I'm like, I can never get my work done by five o'clock at right. night. I'll never, you know, so right. I, I can't agree to that. Uh -huh. And so I remember from my studies of Marshall Rosenberg's work, he he said, you you don't have to give them what they're requesting, no. but you you can offer to do the best you can. You need to get why it's important to them. Yes, and I think, and that's like, wow, like you're really exhausted. Yeah. You're worn out. You don't really feel like you have anything left at that time of day. Yes. Okay. Now you feel like I've heard you. Yeah. And you would really like to have some relief. Yes. Okay. I would love to be able to provide that relief. That's yeah. very important to me yeah. to provide that to you. <clears throat> My conundrum is I'm barely able to get what I feel I need to be getting done during the day. Yeah. And so that becomes maybe a problem for us to look at and try to improve. Yeah. Or maybe we there's something we can do so uh, that you don't end up being so exhausted at that time of day. But there's nothing wrong with what's preventing me from being jumping right on the boat with what you want. There's nothing wrong that that's a problem that's preventing me from saying yes. That yeah. Marshall often says, try not to say no, but but to share what what it is that prevents you from being able to say oh, yes. that's a good point yeah don't say no say so you know to, to, because this is a real situation this is when mana was oh i don't know two or three months old and you know when a woman's at that stage of mothering it's pretty intense and um you know so what happened was is she, she, exactly what i said but i said you know i said oh, angie i i cannot get home that early and get my work done so what happened is, is we we shared what our needs were, but we made a compromise. And the compromise was, she says, would, it, I, I would be happy if you could promise me that you can get home by no later than seven. So then I said, okay, it takes me 20 minutes to drive home. I got to leave at 640. That's 
an hour and 40 minutes better than five o'clock. Mm-hmm. That's a compromise I can agree to mm-hmm. because sometimes I would get home at like seven thirty, yeah. and the, and, and you know, it would, he would already be in bed. She'd have to go to bed. We wouldn't yeah. get time to connect. And, and, you know, and I'm <clears throat> a very driven man and, and I'm, um, very passionate about my work. Um, and, um, you know, so for me, I've always been a lone ranger type mm-hmm. and Penny, um, she's just like me. We can work all night. We, we used to work sometimes till three in the morning and, mm-hmm. and get up in the morning at nine o'clock and do it again and do it seven days a week. But mm-hmm. she didn't have those needs. We didn't have a child together. Yeah. And so we were both kind of like, she had one oar in the boat. I yeah, had, the, had other. the other. And you were both happy with that. But once the child came along then it was different. So the point I was making is we came to a compromise that I could, that I could commit myself to. And I did. Mm-hmm. And so it really helped. But I think that um, a lot of people are afraid that they're going to be leveraged into making a commitment um, when they ask what somebody's need is. And so one of the things that I learned that really helped me it, from Marshall Rosenberg saying this, it might have been a video I watched, or I think it was a video, but it's too long ago. But the point was, is he, he made it clear: you do not have to give somebody what they're requesting, right? And you should not tell them you will if you know on the inside you're not going to be able to do it, or you don't want to do it, or yeah. you're just simply not going to do it because it'll just cause more trouble. So if he says you can say I will do the best I can because that's ultimately the best any of us can do. So I think that's a important point I want to share with the listeners is that when you're saying, okay, what is it that you're really needing right now? Mm -hmm. If you're afraid of that, you don't have to commit, but what you want to try to do is get to a point where you have a, a mutual give and take, like, you know, five o'clock won't work. Yeah. Six o'clock's a bit tight. But Seven will work. It's based on developing a mutual understanding. Yes. Of each person's situation. Yes. And why they want what they want. Yeah. You then that's what you're building when you find out, you know, and then there's the whole thing of, well, I need you to be home by six. Well, yeah, that's actually a strategy, but what you're needing is I'm lonely. Uh, I'm. Uh, uh, disappointed. I don't get to spend enough time with you. I'm tired and worn out. Those are all of the things that are going on. Um, I'd like to feel more connected. I'd like to be less exhausted. Yes. Okay. Just the fact that I know that about you yes. is going to help me spontaneously feel like doing something. Plus, we're not debating we're not debating the remedy. Now, you don't always have to go to the deeper level because a lot of times you kind of both know each other well enough that you know that's what they're going for. Yeah. And you find and you find just the fact that each one has talked about what they're struggling with. Just naturally, you can come up with a compromise. That's fine. Yeah. But just because you get to a point where you say, okay, I, this is what I'm hearing. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're giving away your power over what you commit to. Yes. You, you always have that power. And if you're uncomfortable, then probably it's because you maybe haven't shared with them what's going on in you that makes it difficult for you to give to them what they want. Because the bottom line is, 
if you didn't have anything going on that made it difficult for you to give them what they wanted, you'd probably be love to give them what they wanted. Yes. So they need to begin to, you need to help yourself and them um, kind of unfold what's happening with you that's going on. Yeah. And just because you say that and they get it doesn't mean now they have to do what you want. Yeah. The bottom line is we're trying to find out what reality is right now. Yeah. We're looking at, at uh, I said this in the, the interview with uh, Amy, I think nonviolent communication is about um, knowing that what we want to focus on is the vitality level. Mm-hmm. how we're doing what are what's our well-being yeah. let's talk about our well-being and the state of it right now mm-hmm. um so that we're talking about life our life and yeah. not talking about our opinions and judgments and stuff like that yes because that's all that the emotions are all about is maintaining our vitality um, yeah and i have social needs and whatever but um I think as long as you're clear that developing um, full understanding um, of the other person's situation doesn't mean anything other than I get it. Mm -hmm. But then you go on and say, well, can I tell you what's making it difficult for me? Right. Then you're in charge of trying to get that balance going. And, and you mean instead of saying tough shit, suck it up? Yeah, got it. You know, it's really, it's going to, you know, I really feel bad. That it's going to be so disappointing for you. you yeah. know? I, I can think of your pain. I don't see your pain. I don't yeah. feel your pain, but I can imagine that's going to be hard for you. Yeah. You know, this is life. T- tough shit. Yeah. You know, whatever. Uh, well, honey, <laughs> I'll be. Sending- you want to know what tough shit is like? Yeah. I'll be visiting a lawyer tomorrow. Yeah. Um, y- you know, it, what? What our conversation reminds me of is when I was in the military, especially in the 82nd Airborne Division. You know, it's it's very intense. The training's very intense, and you you in training you're being treated like an absolute fool, and uh, you know a lot of just nasty, yeah. you know, c- criticism and garbage, right? Yeah. And so, um, one of my neighbors, uh, in in when I was in 82nd, was a military policeman, and he would he was telling me about how much violence there is in military households mm-hmm. and because what happens is the guys come home and they don't know how to deal with all their internal guilt pain frustration shame belittlement and so they vomit it project it onto their family mm-hmm. and so it creates huge relationship problems which is also coupled with a lot of alcohol abuse mm-hmm. and yeah. drug abuse mm-hmm. and um I can't remember the title of Basil Vanderklok's book on um, trauma, but he gives statistics oh, yeah. on on family mm-hmm. uh, family violence and, and military violence and and uh, the statistics on uh, how many people are on psychotropic drugs like you know um, anxiety and and uh, you know Zoloft and all those kind of drugs. But the, when I read the statistics, I about fell out of my chair. I'm like Jesus Murphy, you know that. That that is it, it was really high. I mean, it's something like fifty-one percent of families have serious problems with violence. Uh, something like seventy percent of the public is on and military Which, and others is on, is on if psychotropic you think drugs. About the goal that the drill sergeants have, yeah, um, and that's why they do what they do. They don't want you to think for yourself. No. They want you to disconnect from yourself, from yes. your feelings, from yeah. your needs. Yeah. They don't want you to believe in yourself. Yeah. They just 
you know, you're you're uh, an idiot. Da 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 da. Yeah. They just want you to take in what they're telling you. They want you to become a tool. Yeah, that's right. You're a tool. Yeah, that's right. I want you to be a tool. I don't care about anything going on inside of you. Yeah. I want you just to do this, do that. Well, wow, that's going to create a very unhappy human being back yeah. in a marriage. Yeah. And a human being who's going to splash, and a human being who's maybe going to treat those loved ones like yeah. a drill sergeant. Yeah. So what? So what? Uh, what I'm really pointing to is it leads to um, an empathetic disconnect because the person, the the person that comes home from a day of living like that to his family mm-hmm. is violent or jackaling mm-hmm. and often demanding because they start emulating. I remember it was three years after I'd got out of the 82nd Airborne Division. I'll never forget this. My wife looked me right in the eyes and she said, you know, Paul, you're finally home. And I said, oh, wow. I, said I said, what are you talking about? Wow. She goes, the man I married is now here. Three years. It took three to years. I, I was three years in and it took three years out to calm down and, and stop giving orders and, and you know, uh, disciplining my son like a you soldier. You were a great soldier. You had been molded. Oh, you know. Perfectly. I, it, I and didn't realize that you had been molded. You know, I never lost my my sense of self or my sense yeah. of direction. I just felt like, how in the hell did I get in here with all these crazy motherfuckers that don't <laughs> think for themselves, and I can't <laughs> yeah. wait to get the hell out. Yeah. But the intensity of it was what I brought home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and I was always wanting to win and then succeed, and so I had a a lot of push in me. You know, and and I was in a very technical field. So you were not a fun person to be around. No, I, I'm sure I wasn't, and I didn't know it. Yeah. I really thought I was doing the best I could do for my family. You yeah, know? And, that's right. But it took her to tell me, "You're finally back," and I'm like, "Wow!" You know, it was that's almost like be a, a massive eye opener. Well, it's kind of like you come out of a trance and you yeah. didn't know you were in one. Yeah, and it feels good. Yeah, well, it you go, does. Oh my god, that is true. I am back. Yeah. Wow. So the the point I was driving at is that when you're in situations like that, where you know. Like your wife and kids, like my wife never went on post. She wasn't even allowed to get near where we're at because I was in a zero one priority unit, which means you're the first one to go to war. So it's very intense. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of advanced technology. No one's allowed to come in the door. I mean, it's it's a different environment. And so it's hard for a, a person, you know, imagine being married to a detective who's working on cases that they can't divulge or things yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. It's hard to really, for that person to understand who it is that's coming home and what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, and then they don't really know what you're exposed to all day and, and you don't really understand most men. I don't know how it, how one can create in intimacy in that kind of a situation. It's tough. It's tough. It's because tough. what's deeply effective, yeah, uh, affecting you, yeah, you can't talk about, and, and that's, that's what creates, that's what creates connection, is talking about your vulnerability. Yes, and and that's also what leads to a lot of affairs and use of prostitutes because. They don't want to lose their kids. They don't want to lose their family, but they'd also want to get their sex needs met, but they're not getting them because, you know, if you push a woman far enough, the only thing she's got left to get her point across is no sex. So it causes this huge rift. And and so what I'm trying to drive at here is that um, I think if we were taught how to express our wants, feelings, and needs without 
um, and, and exploring what the other person's feeling. And like you said, how are we doing right now? Mm-hmm. You know, and oftentimes I think a man thinks they're doing well because they're making money and mm-hmm. there's food on the table, but the woman doesn't feel that they're doing well because there's no connection. There's no intimacy. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just um, feed me and get out of my way mm-hmm. so I can go back and kill another commie for mommy or whatever it is. But I guess really what I'm trying to say is that empathy is something that we have to practice and we have to understand that it doesn't mean that you're giving up your position. It doesn't mean you're losing. It doesn't mean you're lowering your sense of rank. It just means you actually care. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Good. You, you get a graduation certificate. (laughs) I just fucking care. I I just care. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's what it means. I care. And that's the message that they feel at a felt level from you because you don't have a position. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah. Because if you adopt a position, then you've got something to defend, you old warrior you. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. It's, and, I'm, and I hope there's military people listening to this because they'll have some more understanding of it. But for the rest of them, they may not. But part of what you have to do to train to kill people is to learn not to care. That's you right. have got to take the human being out of them and turn them into an object. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly why I get concerned about censorship aside from all the other things I do because when you censor people you turn them into an object mm-hmm. and it's okay they to are hate a, them they that we shouldn't listen to yes. they're bad and we got to get rid of them yep. and the reason people are getting sick with covid is because these non-vaccinated people are the carriers well the research turns out to show it's actually 13 times more likely you're going to get it from a vaccinated person but they don't ever tell you that yeah yeah so what happens is you see when you start objectifying people mm-hmm then there's no room for or function for empathy mm-hmm. anymore. And so now what we have is really robots fighting robots. That's the thing. You know, and that's the, and then the, that's people, the beginning of the end. The people who have been censored, yep. they respond by objectifying. Yep. You know, corporations, bad. Government, yep. bad. Yeah. Well, it's just a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. And... It's a very, very challenging equation these days dealing with the whole pandemic situation. But um, I think that having truth out there is important. But there's a lot of intentional deception. Yeah. And it's really hard for somebody just floating around on the internet who doesn't want to spend a lot of time and fact check this thing. Yeah. Which is dangerous. Today, you need to devote the time. When you you do today, you yeah. do, yeah. yeah. You got to devote the time uh, because your life depends on it. You know, turmeric's really, really hot now. There's a lot of scientific research on it, but they're not all created the same. So I brought Autumn Smith on to tell you about Paleo Valley's turmeric complex so you know exactly what the benefits are and why you, like me, should get your turmeric complex from Paleo Valley. Autumn, tell us about your turmeric complex. At Paleo Valley, we are big believers in food as medicine. And so turmeric, of course, it 
has beat drugs out. We know it's anti-inflammatory. We know it has brain benefits. We know it has joint benefits. But what most people don't know is that a lot of turmeric supplements only contain one isolated compound of turmeric called curcumin. And so what we did instead was create a complex. We added organic turmeric and then ginger and rosemary and clove, which were some of the most DNA protective spices studied. And we created a complex. We added organic coconut powder and pepper for absorption. And so we've created a really high quality, highly bioavailable turmeric complex that will hopefully help you to feel your best. And all you have to do to check it out is go to paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And you can use the code CHECK15, that's lowercase C-H-E-K-15 to save 15%. The last point I want to touch, because we've got, we got a good couple of hours going in here, and, and it's been fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I've enjoyed um, it. You know, my dream is that uh, we've shared some things that anybody can practice and use. I cannot recommend your book enough. It's, it, even if you don't like reading, it's not hard to read. Um, one of the things that's important to me, because I'm a very objective kind of guy in, in many ways. I mean, a lot of people know I talk about power animals and spirit guides and they think i'm a kind of a, a but you're very objective about it a military hippie i am actually quite <laughs> you actually objective, are very you? objective about it yeah it's um, cute you know so <laughs> yeah you cracked me up <laughs> yeah good yeah I'm, i have always been strange um i'm but the, fun strange well, well at least today <laughs> yeah you know the tarot archetypes yeah well i'm the fool in the tarot oh. so <laughs> I, my birth if you do the numerology on mm-hmm. my birth i'm a 22 which means my soul path is the emperor but my personality path is the fool so I, i'm not afraid to be different so, but I, but the emperor in me is very discerning right mm-hmm. like you know i do my research and uh, and i'm and i don't i try not to bullshit anybody cuz i just can't afford to do that because i have to live with myself but the, the the point i'm driving at and i think this is a very important point because it drives me nuts when people do this and i've had to deal with it a lot and I, I, well, I was going to say women tend to do it more than men, but I don't think that's fair. So I'll just leave it neutral. Um, I call it fuzzy talk. Now, here's an example of fuzzy talk. You uh, walk in the house and you accidentally forget to close the door and someone says, God damn it, you do that all the time. Oh. Or, you know. Right. You, you, know, so you never do that. Yeah. You're generalizing. You're. You know, or um, it's okay. Uh, yeah, this let me is, let me finish. Yeah, though. go like, ahead. I, I'm sorry. I, I had yeah. a situation in 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 when I worked in a physical therapy clinic. Um, I I had said something because the way the physical therapists were doing things quite often was just ridiculous. Uh, and like uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, people would come in with anterior cruciate ligament laxity. And then they would be ultrasounding the shit out of their knee. And I'm like, uh, you guys, um, I'm curious. What did they teach you about putting heat into ligaments in physical therapy school? Mm-hmm. Because you've got a lax knee or a lax shoulder and you're ultrasounding it for 10, 15 minutes. And you're calling that rehab. You're making the person's shoulder looser, which is the opposite. If you're going to do something, use some ice and do some stabilization exercises but quit ultrasounding the hell out of people and so 
what happened is my, I got called into the office by the boss, and she said, you know, you really upset everybody when you said that. And you need to be careful because you're being rude to people and you're being condescending. And I said, well, no, I was being factual and I care about people. And I think that if you're going to charge people $140 a visit, you should actually give them what they're paying for instead of making them worse. But the point is, is I went to every one of the 22 physical therapists in the room and said, did you feel upset at me or that I was I repeated what she'd said. Well, I found out only one person in the room had actually said that, mm -hmm. but she told me everybody had yeah, said that, yeah, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, that's yeah. what I call fuzzy talk. Okay, okay. So globalized, uh, yeah, generalized, generalized assumptions, yeah. projections, yeah. trying to create a story to match your own personal opinion, but Devoid it's not of factual. Actual fact. Yes. Yeah. Uh, how do we handle that from a nonviolent communication perspective? <laughs> I the reason I started laughing earlier and everything is that I struggle with the same exact thing. I don't like fuzzy I am talk. Really, I have uh, a very good memory for what somebody says. Yeah, and I'm also um, you, uh, it's important to me that if. What you, yeah. So I get into debates over, you always do the da da da. da. Well, now, can you, how about yesterday? How about that? Did I, and I get into these debates. Mm -hmm. I haven't yet figured out other than to just go, it's a thought construct that person is living with. Yeah. I don't necessarily need to debate it. What I need to do is try to figure out what it is that they're wanting and needing. But I get very hooked with that's not accurate. Yeah. I get very hooked with that. And I and I I know where that comes from in, in my family of origin. Uh because that was the only way I had any chance of winning any debate was to really assail whether they those are really the facts. Yeah. Um and even then I generally didn't win. <laughs> so, uh, but it was the only it was the only tool I knew to use because yeah. they were basing it all on logic and everything. Yeah. But, um, so that's a real problem that I have, and uh, I think actually what I'm going to one of the things I'm going to take is, well, Wayland, if you awakened your your giraffe inside and took a look at what's going on with you, what's going on with them, what might you discover? Mm -hmm. Because I've got to figure out where all my need for that is coming from. And I, it, it, and I can feel it just as I say that it comes from ancient shaming, mm -hmm. you know, tapes and stuff. So that's something I can look at with a counselor yeah. to try to undo that because it doesn't belong to this person. Yes. My hypersensitivity to that. Yeah. Um, then the other thing is, uh, is that just the other person... It's that their style. Yeah. They they just don't think in the way I do because I had a lot of I I'm very logical and I had a lot of engineering training and science and math and all that sort of thing, and so they don't have that way of looking at it. They just talk in globalizations, mm -hmm. and it's been difficult um, for me with my wife at times because she'll sometimes make those kinds of comments, mm -hmm. and I'll I've just. At this point, my evolution uh, in handling it is to go, it doesn't matter really that that's what she thinks. Don't let yourself get hooked debating mm -hmm. fact. 
Yeah. Listen for what is it that she is needing yeah. that isn't happening for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I usually get to that eventually after I start debating, and then the jack or then the the, the uh, giraffe wakes up, and I go, oh, "Wait a minute, yeah, <laughs> am I going somewhere that we are really enjoying?" No, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. No, we're having no fun. Uh, the pain teacher is alive and present, going, "Yes, hey, how does this feel? Yeah. Oh, that not hard enough? Let me yeah. turn the screws up yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Keep doing that; that'll hurt more. <laughs> yeah, eventually you're going to wake up. Eventually, and so it's a, it's a uh, I'm a, a work in progress in in that area. Yeah, but I'm encouraged to uh, have this discussion with you about it because um, it opens up some alternatives to take a, a a more consistent look at for me. Yeah, yeah. I think the last thing I want to hit on is the repeat and reinforce. Um, you know, like I use that with my son Bona because he, he's. He's quite a character. He loves to work as long as it's the work he wants to do. Wow, what a surprise. <laughs> yeah, you know, he loves the garden. I mean, this mm-hmm. kid can work. Was, in fact, I'll tell you a funny story. This is hilarious. He's six, right? Mm-hmm. And so two of my buddies that come here to work on the property a lot, and these guys are, you know, like badass, hardworking dudes. You know, they're 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 my soul brothers. And that's uh, Justin Arani and Steve Panico, if you guys are listening. I love you guys. And so they were, they were like working in the, in the garden on the, mm-hmm. in our orchard and they were having a dialogue about where they were going to put certain stones or something. And, and my six-year-old Mana, who loves them both, he goes, okay, you guys, that's enough talking. We better get to work. <laughs> <laughs> I love those moments. It's They're so, so great. So hilarious. You've got this little perspective thinker here, you yeah. know, like, hey, uh, you know what? <laughs> I love that stuff. But that anyhow. so funny. It was funny. I mean, when when they when they told me, I about fell over laughing, and Penny thought it was hilarious. My grandson so has had some of those commentaries with me as well, and I'm like, "Shut up! Yeah. <laughs> Who made you observant and smart?" So, oh, golly. the point is, like, if I say to Mana, um, y- you know, he might want to stay watching uh, something. He's really into truck and all sorts of stuff robots and stuff so he might be watching his ipad and and you know it's time for dinner or whatever and mm-hmm. i'll say mana you need to shut it off so we can eat dinner mm-hmm. now we're mm-hmm. waiting for you mm-hmm. and he'll just ignore me mm-hmm. so f- i'll say mana look at daddy's eyes mm-hmm. and if he doesn't i'll take the computer out of his hand mm-hmm. the ipad and i'll say would you please repeat what you just heard daddy say mm-hmm. so i know that you heard mm-hmm. me and so he will purposely not do it. No, of course. You know, or he will. Because ab- the issue here, dad, is my autonomy. Yes. I'm not yeah. doing what you want, when you want, and how you want. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, why I'm bringing this up is because, you know, like when I'm in a technical environment, like when I'm training people, mm-hmm. for example, doing technical procedures with someone's spine or whatever, and, and I know that if they don't do it right, someone's going to get hurt or. Uh, for example, sometimes I've got guys here uh, that want to use the chainsaw, and it's very dangerous. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying, okay, so uh, would you please repeat what you just heard me say mm-hmm. about what you don't do with a chainsaw? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then I can get it. But some people get quite offended mm-hmm. uh, when you ask them to repeat back. Um, yeah. So what are your tips on using the repeat to reinforce approach so that everybody's clear that because you know as well as i do mm-hmm. we say something to someone we're very clear we think we're clear but then we say 
why did you not do that? Well, you said to that I didn't have to do it till tomorrow. No, yeah, I said you, you needed yeah, to do it after right, dinner. Right. There, there, somehow something happens in the ether between what you yeah. say and what they hear. Yes. And it, and it, it is, doesn't identify. They, they heard something completely different. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that can be very problematic in relationships yeah. of all types. So I find the repeat and reinforce a very useful tool. But I've also found that if it's not used skillfully, it actually starts conflict. So sure. what tips might you have for that? My thought is what might be missing that would help it is to revealing your vulnerability. <laughs> Which I have a hard time doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we are. Um, I want to tell you why it's really important to me that you repeat back. Yeah. Um, and that's because I really need to know that sometimes you really listen carefully. Mm. It's, it, it could be very important sometimes. Yeah, so actually I'm giving them a compliment to yeah. support them. to So, yeah. so it's not like yeah. I'm just criticizing or controlling. I'm, right, right. I'm saying I, I, I appreciate the fact that you do listen well. Mm -hmm. So it really helped daddy right now. If you could just tell, tell me what you heard me say so I know that yeah. you're, you're paying attention. Because then you're not commanding. You're not yeah. demanding. You're, so then with like the chainsaw, mm. um, the vulnerability might be, um, <laughs> I'm really frightened of this chainsaw. Well, here's the vulnerability. Yes. <laughs> see that see yeah. that right yeah. there yeah that was a hole in my knee one day when a chainsaw uh, okay, so dog went right through it and almost ripped my kneecap so off. what you do is you pull your pant leg up and do it let me show you why yeah. it's important to me yeah we well, you know you're you're you really hurt because yeah i really hurt myself and it's really badly it's this whole thing scares me yeah and i want to really be sure that the safety precautions that I, you know, think you need to take, that they're very clear to you. And sometimes I'm not very clear, so you can put it on yourself. And my gardener and handyman snapped his wrist using a chainsaw. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's so many it ways you can get back on him and snapped his wrist so bad it was instant. Man. My grandson once asked, do you think I can use the chainsaw when I'm nine? <laughs> <laughs> he was six. It's like, you know, maybe a few years from now. And you go, I doubt that. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, yeah. but it's the vulnerability that's driving your request yeah. that makes it easier yeah. rather than just having this sort of command thing. You yeah. won't soldier you. Well, you know, the thing is like um, there's certain areas that I can be vulnerable. I mean, I've, I've, mm -hmm. I, I've had a lot of really wild, passionate sex with women where I was I, – I, to, to meet them where they were at, mm -hmm. I had to be vulnerable – and uh, because I really was interested in growing that way, I let myself be vulnerable mm -hmm. so that it wasn't just one-sided. But when it comes to things like um, controlling my environment, for yeah. example, in yeah. my office, yeah. you know, there's, yeah. you know, I'm a very busy man. So mm -hmm. when you walk into my office, if you start making a mess and leaving shit laying around, and I could give you a long list of things. Then I, right then and there, I, I have a hard time with NVC and I become much more direct. Yeah. But, yeah. But, uh, let me share you something with you. I'm, yeah, please. what you would say. Mm. Um, it's very, my organizational pattern is very complicated. Uh, and well, going, it's actually very simple. Oh, well, <laughs> don't fuck oh, with anything. Yeah, oh, don't fuck with anything. Okay, yeah. <laughs> no, but you have a very specific set of reasons why things are where they are. Yeah, and it really makes your working far more efficient. 
that that structure is maintained. Yeah. And if people come in and start moving things around, it just creates a lot of exasperation. So would it be okay with you if when you came in that you noticed how things were and if you needed to move something, you put it back? Would that work for you? Because I don't want to be frustrated at you and you don't want me to be frustrated. Um, And just so that... How how does that sound? So you're yeah. asking how it would work for you. Yeah, does that work for you? Yeah, uh, it's you, you're reminding me that the the long running problem I've had is with our cleaning ladies. You know, they come in and they clean, but then everything's somewhere else. And I'm like, how in the world did what was on the kitchen sink end up over there? And what I what I come to the conclusion is that they organize my house the way they like their house yeah i recently figured that out i go i know what's going on Mm -hmm. my house is being organized to look like their house Mm -hmm. and even though i've said this several times they're they're still not getting it so there's an example where i have to figure out how to connect to the cleaning lady that's where the vulnerability yeah expression revelation yeah is is probably going to be helpful yeah. Why it's important for that to be, and and then asking, is that something you think you could do? Yeah. You know, and if they say, well, you know, you really don't do this the right way. And then I'm going to say, could you please repeat back what we just agreed upon? <laughs> so I'm sure we understand yeah, yeah, each yeah, other. Right. Because I am taking notes here. Could you say that into the tape recorder? Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's how you get people pissed off. Yeah. Could yeah. you say that in the tape recorder? Yeah, that, really. That, yeah. That'll be good. Uh, yeah. But, uh, so I just want to be sure sometimes, and you can always put it on yourself. Sometimes I don't express myself in ways that are very clear to other people. So um, what are you hearing me ask for? Yeah. You know, that way. Yeah. So um, you, yeah, you've, you've got some serious jackal history that's made it hard for you. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, the mil- whole military thing and then having the disposition of the emperor. Well, emperors make rules and yeah. edicts and things. Yeah. You know, if that's kind of how your wiring is, mm. that's a challenge. I mean, that's really challenging. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've done okay. Uh, I would say you've done very well. And the fact that you really, you know, are uh, attracted to NBC tells me you know, you're in the right direction. Well, I've always, the, the reason I've done okay is because I've always been interested in doing better. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, and, yeah. And that's yeah. really... It's called a face of humility. Well, you recognize, you know, you know what? I am not wherever I could be. No, you know? I know there's always potential, but <clears throat> one of the... Tony Robbins used to be a client of mine. I spent a lot of time with him. We were friends. I did lots of his seminars and... and, and um, one of the concepts that he talks about in his seminar, and I, I read Dr. Deming's book, The Deming of America. I don't know if you remember who Deming was. He was a, I can't remember what he was, uh, what his training was. Was but, he business uh, consultant? Uh, yeah, he was a business expert. And when Japan got bombed yes. by the Americans, their whole industry was completely destroyed mm-hmm. and they didn't know how to put it back together. And Dr. Deming felt so empathetic to mm-hmm. them that he actually went over there and offered his services. Mm-hmm. And it was because of Deming that they become a mil- they became an industrial superpower because he showed them how to reorganize yes. and even set their business up better. Right. So most people don't realize the reason Japanese cars and equipment is so much better is because an American man taught them how to do yeah, it yeah. even better I than we did. I remember hearing about him. I think he was at USC at some time, but I'm not sure. Well, anyhow, anyway. the, the principle that... Tony introduced was called Kanai, which is a Japanese word, but it stands for constant and never-ending improvement. Mm -hmm. So I've always held that Kanai principle, like 
um, I can always improve. Even you know, I t- I have a formula that I use with my patients and my clients. It's called the one four one hundred formula. Mm-hmm. If you can improve. One percent mm-hmm. a day mm-hmm. on any one of your four doctors, which is my system: Doctor Happiness, Doctor Diet, Doctor Quiet, and Doctor Movement, because mm-hmm. those are the essentials of any living uh-huh. philosophical system. Mm-hmm. For one hundred days, you will be a one hundred percent new person <laughs> in one hundred days. Hey. And yeah, it, and who can? Add, how hard is one percent? Yeah, there you go. It's really just a subjective appraisal, like. Okay, I did. I'm 20... working at it. It, it, it. it enables the consistency of attention. To yes, things. it is, and and, Just, and, it's, you know, and it doesn't overwhelm people. Right? No, one percent is. I did 1% just thinking about doing 1%. Yeah. So what I try to do in my life, whether it's my relationship with Angie or parenting the kids or putting up with the irritation, some of the people that we have to hire as contractors or workers doing stuff that drives me nuts. I just say, okay, can I be 1% more empathetic today than I was yesterday, at least? But what I found is that if you make an attempt at 1%, you often find yourself inspired to do better than that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, like, yeah. okay, yesterday I did 29 push-ups. Today I'm going to do 30. But you do 30 and you go, you know what? I got two more in me. I'm going to give it yeah. two more. Yeah. So you end up, you know, going to 10%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think just holding the spirit of the 1%. Mm-hmm. Keeps us in the game, and if you say I'm really look interested in, in constant, never-ending improvement, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be for anybody else, it's just for me. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was an athlete and a racer, um, people used to ask me, you know, who are you competing against, and whatever. And I used to say I'm competing against myself, and these guys, I'm not racing against them; they're just inspiring me yeah. and teaching me mm-hmm. because everybody that's faster than me, I'm watching them like a exactly, hawk, yeah. so I can improve myself mm-hmm. but i but i i used to compete to better myself and they were there to help me do it that's not that i like to lose i didn't but to me i always i i, I don't like the concept of winners and losers i always say if i lose i'm a learner mm-hmm. so there's winners and learners mm-hmm. in my philosophy mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i study the people that beat me and so i think if we look at people that are better than us and instead of being jealous or resentful we say ah there's my teacher Mm-hmm. And we say, if I can just do a one percent more of what they're doing better mm-hmm. than me, then it makes the game of of maturation, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, mm-hmm. um, palpable and tolerable. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think if if our spouses or our people in our relationships push us so hard that we have to grow so much, we get exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, and I've, I've like for, I've, I do a lot of relationship counseling because relationships are often <laughs> the cause of people's illnesses. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I say, you know, sometimes you guys got to give yourself a break from having to work so hard at your spiritual development. Mm-hmm. And, and they say, well, how do we do that? I say, it's real simple. Don't sweat the small stuff. Mm-hmm. So he left his underwear in the middle of the floor. Yeah. You can either choose to pick it up out of love. Or you can just ignore it and mm-hmm. say there's a pair of underwear on the floor mm-hmm. and maybe he'll mm-hmm. see them and pick them up. Mm-hmm. But if you start a fight over it, yeah. somebody's not going to get what their needs met. Mm-hmm. And that's just how it goes. But Waylon, what a phenomenal conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, really very important. It. Let me say one thing about yeah. couples because I did a lot of work with couples. Um, what I found over and over and over again is that the problems the couples struggled with were more due to the ways they went about trying to talk about it 
Yeah. Than the issue itself. Yeah. So if there was blaming, judgment, um, you know, demands, shaming, whatever, they wouldn't be able to resolve what it was that they were struggling with. And then that would add, and eventually they would keep stacking up unresolved stuff. Yeah. And then in the process of trying to resolve unsuccessfully, they create extra pain. Mm-hmm. So that all gets stacked up. And eventually yeah. it's like, a thunder cell, it just blows out yeah, the top. Yeah. What they needed was to learn better repair skills. Yes. Yeah. And so I wasn't teaching them nonviolent communication as like, learn yeah. to talk like this. Yes. But how to go about having a discussion where you can repair uh, what's happened. That's where the vulnerability, I think, is really important. It's it's the key. Yeah, but it, uh, it, it takes it's uh, it takes a it's a training week. Yeah, we're not taught to do that. See, I have two wives, so uh, you know I have a lot of young guys and sometimes women say, "Oh man, I want to have two wives like you." So <laughs> uh, I'll say I'll tell you what this is what I say to them. I say, "Remember this Paul check rule: if you can't ride one horse really well, <laughs> riding two is very dangerous." <laughs> So, and and usually the reason they want a second wife is because they're not getting along with the first one or they're not getting laid enough. So they think, oh, I'm going to have a sex fest. I'll just have two wives. And if she's not being way I want her to, I'll just leave her in that room and go have sex in the other room. I've been bouncing around on the planet too long to believe that one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's just like, not so simple. Yeah, Yeah, man, you're so simple-minded sometimes, you know? Yeah. Do you know why men have a hole at the end of their penis? Uh, I'm sure you're going to tell me. To get air to their brain. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes and that's a terribly jackal thing to say but i, I just it. think it's a very funny joke it is yes. a lot of times we're just driven by that that old testosterone energy yeah well know? yeah i you know without that who would i be <laughs> yeah yeah so anyway I, yeah this has been fun yeah enriching and uh i've learned and, and that's really really me nice. too thank you so thank you yeah very much. yeah thank you yeah. and thank you to the sponsors of the podcast for making such amazing products having sustainable companies caring about the planet and caring about us enough to make us the real stuff. Thank you guys for anything you buy from the sponsors that supports the podcast so that I could take the time from my very busy schedule to do the research and find amazing people like Wayland to share with you so we can all live, love, and grow together. God knows we need it now. And I look forward to sharing much more with you in the next podcast. I've got a lot of great ones coming up. And uh, let's all work together to make the world a better place for all living beings now and in the future. Try to be nicer to each other. Yeah, try a little be, be a little nicer. A little nicer. A whole great spirit. Mm-hmm. See you next time. All right. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Wayland Myers. You can read articles by Wayland at his website, waylandmyers.com. That's W-A-Y-L-A-N-D-M-Y-E-R-S dot com. His book, Nonviolent Communication, The Basics as I Know and Use Them, is available at Amazon.com and highly recommended by Paul. Follow Paul on Instagram at Paul.Check, on Twitter at PaulCheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living 4 d with Paul Check. Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to Czech videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site, chekiva.com. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash 
podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcasts.